and he booms this one. That takes the third catch free kick out of play. And it's him. Again to the 40. Still on his feet at the 50. And the Ravens have won it. 34 31. I don't think anyone would debate the statement that Ray Lewis loves himself some Ray Lewis. Yeah, he sure does. And we were talking a little bit before about Ray Lewis' comments on the America's Game documentary that the blackout was the trillion-dollar company, as he refers to the NFL's, decision to try to alter what was, in his opinion, their view of a blowout Super Bowl. Right. He thinks that the trillion-dollar company shut the lights off to slow down the Ravens so that the 49ers would be able to come back and make the Super Bowl a game. What do you think? Uh, no? <laughs> I, I don't think so. Uh, there's been, If that's the case, there's been plenty of boring blowout Super Bowls that that hasn't happened in. So yeah, I well, I didn't I don't they know cut why. the lights in that Broncos 49ers Super Bowl? And right, like right. 55 to 10. Yeah, it's not exactly like... The 49ers are some giant draw or anything. They're not, I don't know, the Cowboys or the Giants or somebody. They're not some big market team that, like, the NFL's really, really hoping the 49ers win this game. Did it hurt the ratings at all that it was a blowout? I don't think so. Yeah, I wouldn't think so either. You know what? I saw something actually pretty interesting just kind of flipping around the other day. The second Super Bowl that the Bills played was in Minnesota against Washington. Right. And the halftime show at that point didn't involve rock groups. The halftime show was some kind of a winter-themed event, okay. which had marching bands. So more like the Olympics or Figure something. skaters. Right, right. And Fox, who was not an NFL partner yet, aired a unique, an original episode of In Living Color during halftime. Okay. They did a couple of football-related sketches. They had a countdown clock to tell you when to switch back. And I guess they stole a ton of viewers. I guess it was about a third of the viewers switched over to that. So that is why the NFL decided to turn to the Rock Groups. And the third Bill Super Bowl the next year against the first Cowboys Super Bowl, Michael Jackson was the very first pop slash rock star right, right. that they got to do that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Hmm. Welcome to the Sportscaster Season 3, Episode 25, September 3rd, 2013. Sort of an NFL preview show. We're going to do some different things here in the spirit of the NFL starting up this week. I am Steve Bennett, Don Russ. Across from me, what's up, buddy? Hey. One other thing I wanted to mention before we got going. Uh, Ken Fang is a guy who's been on our show before. He runs a really good site called Fang's Bites, which focuses on the sports media, even more than we do. I, I think sometimes people kind of think our show is about the media. It's not necessarily about the media. It's more about the people that cover the sport. I don't know. how. If someone asked you what our podcast is about, how would you describe it? Because um, hmm. we're going to talk to Deitch about this a little bit later, not specifically about our podcast. But 
I would say it is sports related, but then when people usually the next question, if people haven't listened, is like, "What athletes? Yeah, because we don't on? do athletes. We don't do much. a lot of athletes. We do them sometimes, but we don't do a lot of like real current news, only because that would get dated on a once a week podcast. Yeah, we cover the people that cover sports and, and more and specifically kind of like how they cover it right. and why they cover it. Like a lot of times I'll ask someone who's on what storyline, this is a question I ask a lot. What storylines are you excited to, cover, to yeah. covering and why, you know, I like to, the thought process, but I think sometimes if you describe our podcast to someone, it might come off as boring, but I think it works out a little bit better than people would think. Sure. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, because I remember when I was on WGR and when I got done, I was thinking, man, I think I made our podcast sound really boring. <laughs> so I like talked about us reading books and talking to people about. Yeah, but if that were the case, I mean, uh, like Aaron Schatz and uh, I always forget our Boston buddy's name. Carrie Byrne. Carrie Byrne's websites would sound really dry and boring, too. And maybe if you're not into the math and analytics part, they would be. But anyway, they work. Point is, Ken Fang has a great website. Uh, he's been on our podcast before and he actually had me on his podcast. Uh, we kind of did like a cross promotion thing way back in probably the first season of our show. We did that. And Ken and I will talk from time to time on Twitter about things. If something comes up that I know that I think he'd want to know. I'll tell him and vice versa. And a couple weeks ago we were talking about how CBS had released the play by play assignments for the first four weeks of the season. So, Right now, if you want to know who's going to call the first four Bills games, you can easily find that. Right. Fox, on the other hand, doesn't do it that way. They don't announce who's going to cover their games until the Wednesday or Thursday before the Sunday they're played. Right. And I had mentioned to him that I had talked to Kenny Albert, and he had told me that he was going to be covering the Saints game. Saints and Falcons week one. And through this conversation, we kind of got on who we thought would cover the rest of the Fox games that week. And we thought it might be kind of a fun oh, I did see this. pool yes. type of a thing. Uh, so Ken and I have created a, I guess you call it a pool. What you do is you take the games aired on Fox on each given week and you pick which of the broadcast teams you think are going to cover each specific game. And then you email us at guestfoxfootball at gmail.com. And each announced team is assigned a certain amount of points. And if you get it correct, you get those points. And every quarter of the season, we're going to give a 100-word blog post on Fang Bites and a parting shots type spot on our podcast to the winner. Okay. And then we're going to have end-of-the-season prizes as well. You can find more about this on Ken's site, fangsbites.com, or on our Twitter at sports underscore casters or on his Twitter at Fangs Bites. Uh, and hopefully you'll play with us. Again, it's uh, guessfoxfootball at gmail.com. Now, you guys coming up with the scoring actually did it kind of backwards, right? Where the yeah, best the way group we did it, is the lowest rated because right. it would be easiest to guess. And the worst. Okay. So we figured what we would do is it's pretty easy to know, even though Fox hasn't announced it, that Buck and Aikman are going to be at Green Bay San Francisco week one. Okay, sure. It's real obvious, right? And we figure most weeks it's going to be real obvious where they're going to be. Right. So that's only worth a Especially point. Especially as the season goes on and the games establish themselves. Right, you right. Know, 10-1 versus 10-1 on Fox. Sure. It's probably going to be them. And then we figure that their least attractive game is pretty obvious 
usually two. Mm-hmm. And then the way we did it was the second team and the second worst team is worth two. And then gotcha. the third worst team and the third best team is worth three. And then the team that we thought was in the middle is worth four. Okay. And the, you know, the theory being it would be easier or harder. But you can find all kinds of info. We got a bunch of entries already. I think like cool. 25 entries, which is pretty good for week one. We hadn't had a chance to promote it on our podcast yet. He hasn't had a chance on his podcast. And also it was a, a holiday weekend, so I don't know how that affected right, right. You know. But uh, every time I check the email, there's a new one on there. So hopefully you'll play with us. It should be a lot of fun. And it, the cool thing about it, too, the way it's set up, is you don't have to play every week necessarily. Okay. You know, probably the person who wins whatever the prize we come up with for end of the season will probably be someone who plays every week. Right. But there's quarterly prizes, so you can kind of come in and out and, and play as you please. But uh, give that a shot if you like. Uh, we got a ton to do today. We're going to have uh, a couple cool interviews. One is we're going to preview the NFL season Probably talk about the Pirates, probably talk about all kinds of hooey and applesauce with our good buddy Dave Damashek, who hasn't been on since April sometime. One wow. of the first shows back was the last time Dave was on. Uh, Dave, of course, is all over the NFL Network and NFL.com, NFL media these days, so we're going to preview the NFL season with Dave. Also, we're going to talk to Richard Deitch. We'll talk to him about going viral on Twitter, why he doesn't follow us. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk to him about... Watching the NFL on TV this year. We're going to talk to him about Fox Sports 1 and Keith Oberman returning to ESPN. And we're also going to do an interview with Jeff Duncan of the Times-Picayune. Talk about the Saints a little bit. Talk about the SEC. And uh, the cool thing about Jeff is he's not a Saints beat writer. He's the general sports columnist at the Times-Picayune. So we're going to talk about the southern part of of the U.S. and what's going on football-wise there because it's not an area we necessarily get people from that often. So we're going to do that too. And we're also going to do five on fantasy today, which is going to be real cool because we can talk about starts and sits and we're going to pick out preseason fantasy football awards. We're also going to do our over-under picks for the year. Right. Uh, who Don and I have each picked out four win totals. Uh, we're going to give those to you. We'll keep track of that because we don't do pick four anymore. So we got to incorporate some ways for us to show just how poor we are predicting what's going to happen in the game. At least these ones will take a year to mess right. up. So, And uh, one last thing today is going to be a chance for us to make some kind of bold predictions about the NFL season and give out a couple of NFL season-long awards. Before we can do any of that, we're going to get our show started with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever! (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. The week that was in the NFL and the week that will be uh, starts with some players named starters. First... And foremost, maybe is Terrell Pryor of the Raiders, named starter over Matt Flynn. He just who, can't win a job, huh? No, is might be the most successful backup in terms of money he's made. And Him and Castle, right, are got to be the first ones that come to mind. In yeah, that Castle sense. at least had to play. He made a he boy, had an eleven and five season where 11 they missed and the playoffs. Five non playoff season, which is tough to do, right? Uh, but yeah, Matt Flynn making a boatload of money to hold a clipboard again, and Terrell Pryor. Name the Raiders starter, and I, I'm guessing if you're a Raiders fan, this is what you want to see. Your team is probably going to be a train wreck this year. You might as well see if this kid has anything. 
And if he does, then that's a pleasant surprise. And we're going to talk about college football in a minute, but there's been a couple of really impressive quarterback performances. I think that next year's quarterback class is going to be really yeah. good. Uh, last, Teddy Bridgewater looks good. Looks terrible. You know, hopefully, year, hopefully yeah. for Bills fans, EJ Manuel notwithstanding. Right. But it does. You know, I think a lot of people after the great quarterback class we had two years ago with Luck and Griffin and Whedon and Tannehill and Russell Wilson. Wilson. Yep. There was almost like the impression you can do this every year, and I think this year is sure. maybe proof you can't. But next year might be better. So there's a few train wrecks in the league this year, and we're going to talk about that more in over-unders, but I think that maybe this will be a good year to be a train wreck. Sure is. Uh, speaking of rookie quarterbacks, the Bills are about to be the first team in NFL history, well, since the merger, to have only rookie quarterbacks on the roster when they go into week one, and that's manual and tools. So I don't know if that's good or bad necessarily as a Bills fan. I guess I don't, I don't need a veteran guy there to hold a clipboard yeah who wanted Cobb around to yeah potentially start a controversy yeah there's no yeah. reason for that tim tebow another quarterback cut uh is this the last we hear of tim tebow i hope so i'm not into it yeah i don't have any problem with the guy himself no, me neither. but i'm just not into the overblown yeah his name ha- per, uh, precedes his his reputation is in front of his actual ability and the second it's not about football anymore the second him. he was cut all I heard was, you think the Bills are bringing Tebow? <laughs> it's like, no, why would they yeah, bring yeah. Tebow? And did you hear that the Montreal team in the CFL? The Alouettes? They don't want him. Hmm. Supposedly they're having injury problems at QB. and Not interested. They're not interested either. So He's going to have to back off the whole, I want my dream is to be an NFL quarterback if he wants to actually play Wasn't in the Wasn't New England the perfect opportunity for him to see if he could turn himself into an H-back with the, all the problems that they've had? At that position this year with the problems Hernandez had and the injury issues with, I mean, a guy that none of us heard of in April named Zach Sudfeld has become like the fantasy, fantasy darling this yeah. year. Why couldn't Tebow have tried that? Who knows? I don't get the delusion of it. You got me. He won a playoff game, I guess, is maybe what perpetuates that. Uh, he did. I haven't, I don't think we had any major injuries. That, well, Andre Brown was this week, right? Yeah, he broke his Fractured leg. Fractured his leg, broke his leg, something like that. He's not going to miss the season as they earlier thought, but he will be put on short-term, short-term IR. IR so Eight they, weeks. They can't activate him again if they want. Uh, what else do I have? Colt safety, John Boy- Boyette. Not a guy I'm real familiar with, but he was arrested for disorderly public intoxication. Then, quote, went on to say, you can't arrest me, I'm a Colts player. Well... Not anymore. You're cut. Uh, Colts aren't going to deal with some sixth-round safety uh, getting arrested before he even plays an NFL game. Come on, guys. Knock it off. Uh, you're, you're cut, John Boyette. Maybe you, you better think twice and behave if you get another shot in the NFL. And uh, maybe this is somewhat breaking, but uh, Jonathan Vilma is also probably headed to short-term IR. Oh, really? Yeah, so he's going to be out. Yeah. Uh, is he still a saint? He is. Yes. Yeah. Saints Barely. also signed Robert Meacham, which uh, we talked a little off the air. Like you said, it's that worked great for them in that they get a little bit of a safety valve behind their rookies that already knows the offense, and they didn't have to pay him the whatever San Diego paid him to be a total bust in their situation there. And we'll talk to Jeff Duncan more about this, but I think someone texted me and said, you know, what does Meacham mean? And I think he means this, and you kind of touched on it. After Colston and Moore... 
all the wide receivers who made the team are very young, either rookies like Kenny Stills, mm-hmm. second-year guys who are basically rookies like Nick Toon, or fringe NFL players, second-year guy like Andy Tanner, who has literally been in 33 roster transactions in his <laughs> almost two years in the league. I think what Meacham is, is he's a veteran guy who can come in. They don't have to teach him anything. Right. Other than maybe the few things they might have changed since he was on the team two years ago. And he provides a little bit of insurance uh, if in case these rookies aren't what the Saints hope they will be. And he's a guy that has proven he can make plays in this offense. But I think he's going to have to reprove that. I don't think him showing up means you drop Kenny Stills and Nick Toon down a slot. I think Robert Meacham has a lot to prove to the Saints at I this think point. Also, until Drew Brees retires or whatever, moves on to a different team, which I don't see ever happening... Uh, this will be a team built to win now. Uh, the Bills are super young at receiver too, but them bringing in a Robert Meacham doesn't make sense. But for the Saints, makes perfect sense. It's it's the signing of that third line center in a hockey team just to kind of bring some experience to the to the position. The Browns signed uh, Bill Cundiff to be their kicker. Yeah, you know they had the Pro Bowl kicker in the AFC last year, Phil Dawson. Phil Dawson. But the problem was is they had already franchised him two straight years. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they couldn't franchise him, and they would have had to pay him an exorbitant amount for a kicker. They let him go. The two guys they brought in to fight for the position, neither of them won it. So going into the week before the start of the season, they're still looking for a kicker, and I guess they're going to go with Cundiff. Billy Cundiff sure needs to kick a game-winning playoff field goal, doesn't he? He does. And then Dan Carpenter is going to be a Bills player right now because the player who won their kicking battle... Is potentially injured. Florida State rookie. Right. So the Bills just this can't get out of their own way right no, now. And I, injuries, I no, and I think I may have jinxed them. Two weeks into the preseason, I think I talked on the podcast about how they've kind of avoided the injury bug, and now it seems like everybody, even Jarris Bird, who just they franchised and finally came to camp and all this and that, is going to fight plantar fasciitis. And if you're a fantasy player, you know that's the injury that I believe Antonio Gates has, and it's just one of them nagging year-long things. So hopefully – his is not that type of case. Good news for a couple tight ends this week. Uh, Gronkowski's practicing in pads for the first time this year. He didn't get put on the PUP list, yeah, he's... which means he will be eligible to return whenever they want him to. And I think I heard they're targeting week three right now. Yeah, he's officially, I believe, day-to-day, along with everybody else on the right. Patriots injury report. But I think that's posturing by Belichick. I, I don't think he'll be back this week. Uh, he definitely won't play this week. No, he could be back. It would probably be more likely for him to be back week two if the turnaround wasn't so quick. But they play the Thursday they game do, week two. against so, the Jets, right? So, yeah, so week three makes sense. And uh, if you drafted him in fantasy, that's you're probably happy about that because yeah. that's about where you would have expected or maybe even later than I that. I think people who drafted him in fantasy before this week were thinking he's going to probably get PUP and they'll have him after week six. Week and six, that's yeah. enough. So I think those extra three games would be a bonus. And people have to remember that last year, he missed, he missed five six, games, yeah, five. and he had the second most points at the position. So, uh, And then Heath Miller is another guy who didn't get put on PUP and is expected to return soon, but not now. In other words, he didn't get put on PUP, but he's not going to play week one. So, yeah, he'll be back in the he'll first be back six at weeks. some point think, in right. that first six-week window. Maybe similar to Gronkowski around week three or so. All right. Was there anything in cuts? Is there anyone that got cut or anyone that made a team that was a no? A lot of the stuff we talked about, like just to each other during the week, had more to do with fantasy. Like Jonathan Dwyer was cut from cut, Pittsburgh, right. so Redmond was announced to be the Week One starter there, right? And so, Le'Veon Bell is still right. So that 
situation just kind of hashed itself out a little bit better if you're a fantasy player. In real life, you probably don't care too much about and that. Dwyer getting cut means Felix Jones made the team over Dwyer. That's right. That's Which right. doesn't say much about what the Steelers think of Dwyer, right? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so there was that. Um, I can't think of anything else. Geno Atkins signed a huge deal with the, with with the Bengals. $55 million yeah, or something like that. Which is good for them because they're a team that sometimes sure. cannot isn't, hang on to players. Right, you right. know, and that's a guy you want to – so hold on. Got anything else over there? I do not. Uh, I'm ready for Thursday to get real games going and Sunday, full slate of football games. So finally. And, and we're going to have all kinds of football stuff throughout the podcast. Absolutely. Here. All right. Second thing this week we're going to share as well. And I don't know if we're going to do this every week, but we might. Uh, and that's looking back at the week that was was in college football, the first full week of games. And there were some really outstanding like a, it was a really fun week of college football. It's a great week for them to be able to have their games spread out pretty much from Thursday to Monday. No NFL games in there. Uh, there wasn't any high school football here. You know, so really it was if you wanted to watch oh, football right, this right. weekend, it was college and college only. Got started off with a great game on Thursday night. I don't know if you've seen any of the Old Miss Vanderbilt game. No, I did not. Oh, outstanding game. There's this kid on the team, a uh, wide receiver. Uh, for Vanderbilt, who's a stud. And Vanderbilt's down, and uh, his name is Matthews, the wide receiver. And Vanderbilt's down, and this kid catches a ball, gets tackled, and it's one of these where he hits the ground, and then his head kind of slams down after. Okay. And he's kind of woozy, but he doesn't come off. They run a play, and then he's puking on the field. Oh, no. You know, so it's like, oh, my God, this kid's got a concussion. concussion. Get him out of there. So they get the kid out. He comes back in a couple plays later, and it's like a fourth and 19. And he catches the first down pass on the really? play. Uh, you know, makes an unbelievable play. They score a touchdown to go ahead. Seemingly, like, out of reach for Ole Miss. Ole Miss gets the ball back with less than a minute and gets a 75-yard touchdown run to take the lead back. Wow. So Vanderbilt gets the ball again, another chance to go ahead. And this kid, this the Matthews kid, goes across the middle. The ball hits his hands. He doesn't make the catch, and it gets picked. I felt terrible for the kid. I haven't heard if he, he was diagnosed with a concussion. I don't think he was, but I just felt I felt terrible for the kid because he played an unbelievable game, and he came off the field, and he was crying and everything. Are either of those teams any good? I know there's been I mean, some they're the bottom. Players. They're bottom SEC teams. Okay. But bottom SEC teams Still are really good, good right. relatively speaking. Uh, the Another game of the week was Clemson-Georgia, which was Saturday night, which was an unbelievable game. Uh, Clemson gets the win, which is probably no surprise to Georgia fans. Georgia and Oklahoma probably are the two teams right now known for not being able to get it done in big games. <laughs> uh, Sammy Watkins, who's a big NFL prospect, had showed off some unbelievable speed. Uh, so did the Georgia running back will be the first running back off the board. Uh, Oklahoma opened up with a win against Louisiana Monroe. Um, Trevor Knight, the redshirt freshman quarterback, runs around really good, doesn't throw it that well yet, looked like a redshirt freshman at a time, but did settle down. And what I had heard about Louisiana Monroe is that they were a pretty good team in their conference, had a lot of offensive stars returning, a senior, a quarterback, and they shut them out. And really, they could barely get a first down. So probably after you watched the Oklahoma game, you were probably more excited about the season than you were before. Good. Anything you had? Um, I thought UB played a respectable they game did, against, against Ohio State. Yeah, they did. And we'll have UB's proudest uh, yeah, yeah. Alum, Richard Deitch on it. Which, which is good. 
it bodes well for them. I mean, I, I've watched them, and my sister's a cheerleader there, so I do go to some of their games, and in their conference games, they're always pretty competitive, and in their non-conference games, they're sometimes over at halftime. So uh, it's nice to see that they, they hung with, with a big boy for a little while there. What was it, maybe a two-score game at the half, something yeah, like that? Yeah, and the cool thing about the UB team this year, the, the, okay, the non-cool thing is their home schedule sucks. Yeah, yeah. It's a nightmare. Their home schedule is a nightmare this year. But they have a first-round pick on the team. Right. Yep. Khalil Mack, linebacker, who probably that was the biggest game for him because it's the game where he gets to say, I'm playing against the Ohio Bucks. State, right. And he had two and a half sacks. Yep. So he did nothing but improve the opinion of him. Because when NFL teams get to the point where they're breaking down film, they're going to look at that game. It'd be awesome to get awesome. like a decent team at that school it's right around the block from us basically well, we need to make sure we get to a game together this year and get a good eye on max so we can talk about it on the show sure but and kill two birds as well. you're gonna yeah, go yeah. anyway to see your sister but. right uh other college football news in the not so good world of college football is johnny football comes back from his half, half game <laughs> suspension uh, scores, I think, three touchdowns and then gets a personal foul penalty for pointing at the scoreboard. And benched. And benched, uh, basically making a jerk of himself in, fr- in front of his coach. And Every second he made a jerk of himself. Uh, yeah, the this, money thing. Yeah. The autograph yeah, thing. This kid can knock it out of his own way. And I don't – A, I'm not sure how well his game translates anyway. But if I am a an NFL – Executive, this guy is almost untouchable. There's going to be teams who cross him off, right? Yeah, there's going to be teams who say we're not going down that that road. Now, the one thought I had when he did all this stuff, and this is on the field stuff. This is the one thing that makes him a little bit different. Is my thought was I've done a 180 on Pat Kane. Uh, Kane was kind of a punk, uh, kind of got in trouble off the ice, but it was never really reflected on the ice with Kane so much. LeBron James is maybe another example of someone sure. we've made a big turnaround yeah, made on Yeah, bad decisions, show. Right. but is kind of stepping away from that. Johnny Manziel is going to have to do that type of thing and in a hurry. I mean, I know he's a young kid, but in this league, you get drafted as a young kid, especially because he's probably going to come out early, and he's going to have to impress an NFL team in those rigorous pre-draft interviews and all this stuff. He is going to have to change because, like you said, there's got to be teams that already have him crossed off. Yeah, I this think is against it, Rice, by the right. way, that he's showing up. He's showing up Rice, who not a football power. No, they're as relative to football as Rice, the food, food. is to football. <laughs> right. They're a great baseball school. Right, their right. baseball team wins national championships. Their football school doesn't. No, I think it was Adam Lazarus who put it perfectly on Twitter. He said Johnny Manziel has went from immature kid to punk to asshole. Yeah, real quickly. Yeah, and. I think one thing we have to keep in perspective, though, is he's a kid. He's a kid who's went from a high school senior to a Heisman Trophy winner in less than a year. Doesn't? And that's a lot. When you're in college, you can't have agents. I can't remember what they call them, though. Like family, family advisors. advisors. He's in desperate need of one. A yeah, good one. if he doesn't have one, <laughs> right. or if he, he does have one, one they're failing. He's he needs failing one that's him. not a yes man. Absolutely, because this kid is going to lose himself a lot of money. But, uh... Like you said, you, you, you got to try to find a little balance in your contempt for him and keep in mind, like... He is a kid. Imagine if when we were 21 years old or 20 sure. years old, if everything we did was put under the microscope the way everything he does is. Yep. So, but, uh, geez. Yeah, not looking good. On the other side of that, Bridgewater looks like the first awesome. pick in this draft. Huh? He looks ridiculous. Yes. 
the, way ahead of all the other quarterbacks. The passes he can make running the I think he's a right-handed passer. Running to his left and throwing back across. Holy cow, that guy has an arm. And accurate, too. He's making, like, back shoulder throws like NFL players do. That guy, I've only watched him the little bit I saw him this weekend, but he is really impressive. He's everything that uh, has been has been touted about him. He looked really good. All right. Uh, my third thing this week, and I hate to be a gossip and I wouldn't want to be a gossip but there is a basketball story here and it's kind of the very sad and tragic fall of Lamar Odom that's Mm. been playing out mostly in the gossip columns the last few weeks but uh, Lamar Odom apparently has a drug problem he's apparently had it for a couple years Uh, he was picked up on the thruway going 40 miles an hour uh, was arrested for suspicion of DUI and refused all kinds of blood tests um, at the station. He's an NBA free agent, and apparently there was a lot of interest from the Clippers to re-sign him a couple weeks ago, but apparently that interest is gone. And the sad part about it here is just a couple years ago, this was a guy who was turning into a dominant NBA player, was all kinds of in the mix with Team USA, was a potential Olympian, and he couldn't be further from that now. And like I said, I don't want this to be a gossip, but it's sad. And you know what? I'm kind of a fan of the guy in a sense. Uh, I I hope he can he can make it right. Well, I mean, this is more gossip column TMZ stuff because of his marriage, right. right, to Khloe yeah. Kardashian. Are they still together? I- They're still married, and apparently she's doing what she can to help him. The gossip part of this is is that friends and family have pinned him down in intervention-type things. Okay. It's not working. He was allegedly missing for a few days, huh. and he turned up in a hotel. Then this DUI, which isn't gossip. He wasn't no, right, right, for right. DUI. Uh, well, I mean, he's a, thir- he's, he's a guy past this. He's 33 years old. He's making boatloads of money. So... At this point, he's, he's had a tough life, right? At this point, it's just a matter of getting your life straight. You know, you're married. You got, you've, you've got, got the children. money. Yep. You've got kids. Whatever, yep. just get your life straight and whatever. This is less a basketball story than it is just hoping a guy. Best of luck to him. I out. hope he turns sure. it around. Yeah, absolutely. My last thing this week goes back to football, but it kind of points out something that's stupid about the stats. Uh, Current offense and defensive rankings, like when they say that a team is the number one defense in the NFL, they that stat refers to yards against. And I'm going to give you the stats for one team that was 24th in yards against per game, 23rd in yards against per, for the past, and ranked 21st in rush defense. Uh, that 24th ranked defense makes them worse than the Bills, yet... Uh, this team made it to the playoffs and went like 13-3, and three, I believe. That's the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, they were 7th in points for, 5th in points against. And that's the, the weird part to me. They're 5th in points against, yet they are in the bottom third in defensive ranking. And that stat probably has caught people like me. Uh, I know last year I kept saying I, I don't something I don't buy about the Falcons. I don't buy this about the Falcons. And I said that all season long. And finally, they're 13-3 and three and in the playoffs. And I know a big part of that reason is I would look at their matchups. I would go into their game rankings and see that, okay, they rank 
maybe dead last in rushing and in the bottom third in passing and rushing defense. Okay, how can this team win these games? Sure, they were like sixth or seventh in passing offense, but that doesn't seem like it would be enough. But it turns out they're one of the stingiest point-giver uppers in the league. Uh, so I looked into this a little further. In the top ten teams in points per against, in points per game against, only Miami, Pittsburgh, and Chicago missed the playoffs. In the top ten yards per, per game against, Pittsburgh, who was number one in yards against, Defense missed the playoffs altogether. Chicago, the Jets, San Diego, and Carolina also all missed the missed the playoffs. Point being, ranking a team based on how much how many yards they give up is really really stupid. Uh, that's, yeah, why is that? That's the, basically all sense. I have on that. But when you're watching football this year, just think of that stat because I know it screwed me up as far as doubting the Falcons all last year. Their defense probably wasn't as bad as their quote-unquote ranking. You can't see this, but I can see that not only is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania native and Indiana University grad Dave Damashek on the line with us, but we can actually see each other through the technology of Skype, even though that is no bonus for anyone out there. What's up, Dave? Yeah, no bonus. The person who suffers the most is you, as you look at my giant pie face, fill your computer monitor. Well, actually, the person who suffered most was you, because when we started this, I didn't have a shirt on. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> want to pull back the curtain and shame you in front of, uh, in front of your many fans, but I don't mind telling you. I found it disconcerting the amount. I didn't know if uh, you had been replaced by a gorilla of some <laughs> sort, given the amount of fur on your shoulders. Yeah, Italiano, you know. I guess so. Well, listen, I'm a Hebrewite. We're swarthy both, but, you know, I don't go in necessarily for too much of the manscaping, but you might want to clean those shoulders up a little bit. Yeah, probably not. You're uh, in Buffalo. No, but you're, the, the beach months are already gone. Oh, yeah, you don't have to worry about it until next over. year. Plus, you didn't. You only see me from basically like the shoulders up. But as you you know from the, I'm nothing but scars, man. I got like yeah, a that's 13 true. inch scar down the center of my belly. I got a big, huge appendix scar on my right. I got scars all over. So my uh, Abercrombie and Fitch modeling days are long over anyway. Yeah, I hear you. That's unfortunate. Yeah. I, for my part, I'm not going to show you. But uh, as always, when I enter the door, I'm pantsless. <laughs> I like it that way. Yeah, yeah. Check uh, your clothes at the door policy here. So you had the – is it safe to say that your draft, your fantasy league, is it's sort of the most famous fantasy league there is thanks to Simmons and his podcast? And I mean, Is that, that true? It's got to be up there. It's in the top ten at least, I would think. Well, yeah, I guess uh, yeah, Simmons with uh, – there was a video on Grantland a month or so ago yep. of last year. And, of course, what we do is – in case people don't know, we the previous year's champion gets to kick out any owner of his choosing, but it has to ha- that any what doesn't doesn't get to, he must do it. You have to kick somebody out each year. Um, and uh, this is Sal's cousin Sal's diabolical plan from five years ago. And the rule is you have to you don't let them know in advance. You only find out the night of the draft when you're there. 
And so you show up with whatever, you know, I have to run from, I, I had to drive like a bat out of hell for 45 minutes to get up there. I was still a little bit late, ran in the door and everything. And you could do all that and then be told, yeah, you're out of the league, uh, you know. How nervous scram, were you going and then you in? pack up for the year. Were you nervous? Every year yeah. it's nerve-wracking because yeah. you don't know. You don't know if you're going to get bumped off. But this year they – Tell the story. The, the owner, uh, a producer named Craig and – well, two uh, – Cra- uh, Craig and Brian. One uh, Actually, Brian is a uh, Buffalo native. Yeah. Uh, interesting to you and a few others. But um, their scheme this year was they couldn't muster – whatever it takes to to cut someone's head off. So they threw it back at everybody and said, we're going to do this survivor style. Everybody go over there one by one and write a name on a piece of paper and then drop it into the bucket, and whoever gets the most votes is out of the league. So suddenly there was this. Now there was some, there was some uh, conspiratorial stuff, a coup maybe even. One ownership uh, team decided to try and pool – a few of the owners together into an alliance, just like you see on Survivor, and vote Sal out, and that's exactly the way it went. It was stunning. Cousin Sal kicked out of the league. Now, listen, on some level, I feel like it's justice. It is his plan. He deserves to to feel the sting of it at least once. But, uh, yeah, pr- rough stuff. Cousin Sal, our, our spiritual leader in fantasy football for the last – whatever it's been 14 years of doing this league kick to the curb and it's the dawn of a new day what was his reaction he handled it like a man you know he showed some spine but that's only in the moment sal if you've ever you know listened to my podcast or to to the sports guys or or any or watch the kimmel show you know sal is a master at uh at tormenting people so i fear that uh, the next year is going to be difficult for everybody so this isn't for me at all, but I'm curious, really curious, because you know that we credit, Don and I often credit, and Don's not here, unfortunately, but we often credit you for bringing us to this, and I just wonder as someone... Well, that's dumb. You shouldn't say that, but all right. Fine, but what, what is your reaction as it kind of grows when you see things like the six minutes of Twitter fame that we got, and when I tell you people like Eisen are coming on, like... What is your what do you what is your thoughts about it? Like, are you is there some level of pride in, in seeing us kind of grow to some degree? <laughs> yes, I love it. I, I it's not I'm not proud. I'm I'm always as I've said to you a million times. I don't know what magic you have, but you're much better at booking guests than anybody I think I've ever known. Who are you? Look at I, I like I said I can see you on video. You're sitting in your place in Buffalo in your home. How do you get Rich Eisen on your show? How do you get the the array of stars that you have gathered from the sports world over the last couple of years? It's remarkable. Well, I'm I, not I'm not proud of it. Like I say, I'm I'm uh, I'm flattered you would say such a thing, but I don't deserve any credit for what you guys have been building up here. I want to tell you about Eisen because we really thought that we must have got Eisen because of our connection with you, because we knew that that's how we got Fabiano when Fabiano first came on. Cause he told us, he's like, we get a lot, I get a lot of requests and I wasn't going to do it, but you had mentioned that you had had Dave on and I asked him and he gave a good recommendation. So I kind of thought similar thing had happened and this isn't really a secret. I don't think, but 
If you know one person's email address, usually at a place like ESPN ah, or the NFL, clever. you can pretty much figure out anybody's. And <laughs> I knew a couple NFL.com ones, so I f- NFL ones, so I figured, well, let's see if Eisen's follows the same pattern, and it did. So I just emailed them clear blue and said, this is who we are and this is what we do. Would you come on? And he didn't respond at first, so I sent him another email about a week later. And he responded to that one, and that's how that's how we did it, and that's how we've got a lot of guys. Really, ESPN is the only outlet that makes us go through PR. All the Sports Illustrated guys, I talked to the PR guy there, and he's like, "Look, you don't need me. Go ahead and get who you can get. All the power to you." And um, I don't even know who the PR guy is at NFL. They, sometimes I'll have someone on, and the PR guy will come on after and be like, "Hey." Did you think about cluing me in? And I kind of want to say, no, not really. Uh, but I'll make make nice and be friends. But, yeah, Eisen, I don't know why he did it. Because I guess he usually That's doesn't cool. do a lot. Oh, I mean, yeah, listen, he uh, he's a mensch. And, um, yeah, I'm glad he uh, showed up on your show. But, yeah, you guys have had, uh, if not just him, you guys have had a lot of great guests over, like I said, the last couple of years. Good for you guys. Yeah, and you had Eisen the other day, too. I saw. Yeah, we just kibitzed, and uh, as you, we we got into um, what's on his brain right now is this is what's so great is you know college football is here, pro football now is too. He's on the um, you know he's a big Michigan guy, so he's really fired up about Brian Kelly, coach of the Irish, saying that uh, they can drop Michigan from the schedule because they're not a real rival, which is ridiculous. So Eisen goes off on that and a number of other subjects so yeah it was a good conversation before we get full into football how about those pirates in 81 last night huh well listen by the time people listen to this maybe it will be complete maybe they'll have 82 or even more uh yeah 20 years i'm conflicted it's not really pride again am i proud no this has been 20 years it's embarrassing i'm glad it's over with how about that i'll be proud to be able to put this hideous stretch how can we be the city of champions in pittsburgh when we when, when you have a team that hasn't had a winning record in 20 years but once they get once they can get over the hump and get to 82 then i'm going to start giving legitimate thought because i promised no talk of the playoffs let's i mean people it's amazing how quickly louis ck does those jokes about how quickly in the 21st century we get frustrated by 21st century technology Ten years ago, nobody had uh, cell phones. Now we get mad if a call drops out. Like, this dumb thing is, bro, this thing is junk, you know? Same sort of thing. Like, the Pirates have been lousy forever. All of a sudden, they're a relevant, pretty good team, and people are like, oh, they stink. They better get a new fifth starter. It's like, oh, listen, they're for the first time. They're semi-good. Can't we just enjoy that before we start getting PO'd already about where they're going to be in the playoffs, and they better not blow this first-place spot? Like, yeah, listen, they go, uh, they they win 90 games or so and get to the postseason. That's a good building block for 2014 and beyond. That's kind of where my head is. But I will flip a switch very quickly, especially since I'm here in L.A. There's a chance that if, if things stayed the same, Dodgers, they would right? it would be the Dodgers and Pirates in the first round of the playoffs. So that would be pretty awesome. Now, one of our other main men, Lee Jenkins, wrote a cover story about the Pirates for Sports Illustrated this week. Does that concern you at all? No, I'm cool with that. I, I you know, the SI jinx I think is a convenient jinx to to point to, but over the years it's been debunked a million times over. Yes, 
Jason Grilly, their their uh, their closer, did go on the DL right out an extended stretch on the DL after he was on the cover about uh, six weeks or so ago. But it can't lightning can't strike twice, can it? Grilly, like me, huge Pearl Jam fan, enters uh, the game to whipping by Pearl Jam from Vitology. Ah, you know better than I do. Yeah. I was disturbed to learn that uh, new acquisition Justin Morneau is wearing number 66. And now listen, Ooh, I like dangerous. black and gold. Yeah. I like that the the three professional teams in Pittsburgh all wear black and gold, but you don't wear 66. That's a hallowed number, fella. Yeah, you don't risky. throw that on your back, Morneau. You've been here for two seconds. Who do you think you are? Very risky. Very risky. Yeah. That that I'm concerns Pittsburgh. me more than the uh, than the Sports Illustrated thing. I didn't realize it's that. It's taboo. You don't do it to Lemieux. I mean, Alan Fanica did it for a decade, but, uh, you know, listen, what's done is done. doesn't make it right. Two wrongs don't make a right more, no. Well, there's been one glorious uh, sports celebration in the city of Pittsburgh this year. I hope for more for you there, buddy. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, let's talk about the NFL a little bit. Finally, we're going to get a game on Thursday, a real game. Uh, what kind of things are you most interested and exciting uh, w- about when you think of the uh, 2013 NFL season starting up? Well, the things that I, the recurring themes that uh, that have come about over the since since uh, the Superdome Super Bowl um, are these the things that are striking. Of course, I you know the Hernandez stuff is over with Riley Cooper is going to be interesting. I, I, I am intrigued not to be dark, but I do. I am intrigued the first time he gets hit hard by a, by somebody, by a, by someone in the secondary. If that guy is a black guy, how's the league going to respond to that? I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes. But like I say, that's a pretty, uh, uh, pretty heavy subject, but I am intrigued to see if, a guy's going to get fined if it's a borderline hit. Will they be like, yeah, we better not uh, find this guy because then we'll be charged with uh, not doing enough on Riley Cooper, but then finding a guy for hitting him. So that's interesting, but that's small. I like the idea that we're sitting in these two eras with quarterbacks. We have the old guard, uh, Peyton, and you know now you really can include Eli in that too. Brady and Breeze and Roethlisberger and those guys are now all in their 30s and they're all pretty much traditional quarterbacks at least in the sense that they all you know try to stand in the pocket and sling it they don't run around at the very least Um, and then on the other hand you have this this influx of new guys from and Andrew Luck is sort of an in-between on that because he does run around a little bit and we'll see if he starts doing that some more but you know all the guys, Kaepernick and RG3 and Russell Wilson and Cam Newton. So you have these two kinds of QBs. And I wonder, they, you know, everybody always says like, oh, those guys, they'll win Super Bowls. Everybody, that's the thing you always hear. Those guys are going to win Super Bowls. They'll win, uh, Andrew Luck, multiple Super Bowls. RG3, oh, he's going to win multiple Super Bowls. Well, they only hand out the one Lombardi every year. So it, the math doesn't work. You can't just endlessly announce people. Are Peyton Manning... Eli, Roethlisberger, Brady, are they ever going to win a Super Bowl again? I think there's a decent chance none of those guys ever does it again. So I'm interested to see how that goes. And then off of that... Seven players are first or second year starters at quarterback this year. Is that right? Yeah. uh, There's obviously, as always, there's a changing of the guard, but it's a pretty distinct one. 
um, from years past. I mean, there, you have Matt Ryan in between and Sam Bradford in between. But for the most part, like I say, it's these old, established, highly revered QBs, most of whom, if not all the names I reeled off for you, are going to wind up in the Hall of Fame. Then you have these guys in their early 20s who have sort of revolutionized the thing, or at least their coordinators have with the pistol, which, by the way, that's the other big thing from the season to watch. The big debate is, will they solve the, will, will the defenses of the NFL solve the pistol? And everybody I talk to says, no, there's no way to solve that. that. It's a numbers game. Um, it requires, though, that you have an athlete. If it, well, it's unstoppable. Then why doesn't everybody do it? Because everybody doesn't have Cam Newton or um, Colin Kaepernick or I think a guy like Jake Locker might emerge doing it this year. Alex Smith might uh, have some success doing it. If you play... If you do that, it's a math thing because you stack one side of the line, you're always going to win that. And the athlete carrying the ball, the the quarterback, even if you do it right as a defense, he still is athletic enough that he can beat you. He can still run around you or shake you or whatever else. So um, I think those teams are going to continue to have success. But obviously, Joe Flacco won the Super Bowl. None of those guys did. So so it makes it... uh, interesting that there are different ways to skin the cat is the bottom line is that you can stand in the pocket and sling it i think matt ryan has a good chance to win the super bowl this year but then again uh colin kaepernick it's fun to see two completely different styles in what is a copycat league you know over over our lives it's always everybody runs the same offense not anymore you know your team the steelers is a team that you if you look at you could see I think it was Greg Bedard from Monday Morning Quarterback picked him to win the Super Bowl, or to play in the Super Bowl. I don't know if he picked him to win. I know he picked him to play in it. And then you see people pick him to have their worst season in a decade. Where do you kind of stand on this team? Well, I first of all, I hope he's right that they play in the Super Bowl, but I do not agree that they will. I think they're, the, you know, at best, the second-best team in that division, and they're potentially the last-place team because I think Cleveland has a chance to be halfway decent. Um but, uh, you know, listen, I think they could I, – I, I feel like they're really going to be about 8-8 eight and eight, or, unless things go absolutely flawlessly for them. You know, um, I've been looking at the fa- – I, I couldn't figure out why is it what – is what is the story with – you know, the Steelers last year, they're the top-rated defense, and yet their defense wasn't really good. The game has become – here's what the answer is to the question to the rhetorical question I sort of just asked is it's about taking the ball away now offenses are now all so good and they're all they're all they're not necessarily unstoppable but they can put up points much more easily because of the rules than teams 15 years ago were able to so now it's not about shutdown defenses and by the way the team the defenses that we consider to be the best the 49ers and the Seahawks they're not statistically at least they don't stack up with the great defenses of all time they allow 17 points a game the great defenses were keeping you to single digits or close to it and it's really just got to take the ball away now so who you know new england had doesn't have a good defense per se but they take the ball away a ton and that's what it's all about so um the steelers don't do it and so they don't take the ball away on you know but it if Troy Polamalu comes back and he has lightning in a bottle for one more season and he can look like he did in 2008, 2009-ish, he's a playmaker. That's what they need. Lamar Woodley comes back from being fat this year and he maybe, you know, he starts getting back into it. Jarvis Jones, the rookie, 
if he looks as good as he did in the preseason and is the playmaker, then eh, maybe they could win 10 games. Maybe they can figure that out, but they still don't. I mean, Antonio Brown's their best receiver. I mean, Antonio Brown, is he a number one receiver in the NFL? Doesn't seem like it. They don't. Isaac Redmond starting the season. When's Levy and Bell going to be? Uh, uh, Heath Miller's coming back from a knee injury. Yeah, every team in the league or most teams, most successful teams have a good tight end or two. The Steelers have Heath, Heath Miller, who's in his 11th season, coming back from major knee surgery. I mean, they just seem flawed in major areas to me. We were talking a little bit about the things that excite you most about the regular season. And I think one thing that I'm really excited about is to be able to put behind us all these really trivial things we get stuck talking about during the preseason. Look, we get so into things like Tebow and the Jets. And, right. And it's like in a couple of weeks, the Jets are going to be 0-4 and, and we can forget about them. And we can start talking about things that really matter. It's true. Right. You know, and... I get so I get frustrated, and it's got to be even more frustrating for someone like you and all the things, the different things that you do at the NFL Network, having to talk about those things so much. Why do you think we get so fixated on these in, unimportant things during the off season? I think that uh, it's it's really based on the way people react to stuff. If you bring something up and no one reacts to it, it's like anything else. If you uh, we're hanging out with five of your chums and you made a joke and nobody laughed, you would stop making that joke. If everybody laughed, you would probably try it out when you were around some other people. Uh, you know, it's the same sort of thing. People talk about Tebow, man. I mean, it's weird. It's, I don't I don't get it. I don't care. But people, it's a lightning rod thing. People love yapping about that. But I hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm looking forward to having these... Um, these hypothetical conversations end and, and uh, you know, getting into the season now. Cause we, yeah, we, I, like you say, we've beaten these things into the ground already. And it's like now people are ready to react to what's happening on the field. And, and that's going to become more important as opposed to, like you said, the hypothetical things, but I don't know. What do you think about what's going on here in Buffalo? Marone and another new head coach, Manuel, another new starting quarterback. He's the 10th guy to start a game. Well, he will be on Sunday, the 10th guy to start a game for the Bills since Kelly. Well, first of all, good that uh, that's happening because if it was Jeff Toole, that would be sad. That's yeah. a sad way to start your uh, your tenure as an NFL head coach is having to go with a guy who you didn't think would touch the field the entire year and suddenly he's starting a game. Or, or even worse, if you had to start Matt Leinard, if somehow – he had uh, he had wound up on week in week one playing against the Patriots. How would that have been? That would have been funny from the outside, but sad for you. Um, I think this about EJ Manuel: people who doubt him, I just say, you know, how many times do you have to be burned in the twenty first century? These QBs play in college offenses that are at least similar, so it's not like it was twenty years ago where these guys, oh, they're not direct, you know, these guys they need four years to get. Red to you know, a lot of those QBs, a lot of the famous guys didn't come in. They didn't. They weren't the starting QB until season three, four, five of their career. Um, now these guys just get thrown in there, and we think, oh, he's a rookie. Yeah, what chance does he have? As long as you can run and you have a big arm, you have a chance. Obviously, how many times have we seen it? Not necessarily. Doesn't mean the Bills are going to be world beaters this season, but you know, two years ago. Cam Newton and uh, Carolina was a fun place to be because Cam Newton was, uh, you know, was revolutionizing the position, basically. And so I could see E.J. Manuel. He's, I'm not to say he's like Cam Newton because he's not fast like that, but he's 
you know, he's a big, tough guy who can run around pretty good. He's got a big arm. He's got some uh, Roethlisberger, Dante Culpepper to him. You know, he's just sort of uh, slinging it around, not necessarily deadly accurate, but he throws it around. And that's so I think he'll be interesting and I think he'll be all right. I like um, the chances of Robert Woods and um, and Stevie Johnson doing something and Spiller should be dynamite and they have individual pieces on defense it should be good i don't know if the whole of it will be that good um but you know i don't think it's junk i certainly i mean you guys aren't a punchline you're in a division you're in a division with the jets so at least you don't have that stink on you marquis goodwin is a guy who's going to return some kicks too this year yeah he's yep he's fast he's pretty exciting that's Uh, what it's about playmakers that's what the game is about now it's not about the old thing like uh you want an eight-minute drive, 15 plays. Yeah, that's good, but but what you really need are playmakers. You need guys that, uh, you, know, you know, who over the course of a game, you need those three or four decisive plays, big picks and guys who, like you say, a kick return. We see that much more. I think we just have accepted that's the way it is, but it wasn't always that way. I mean, guys weren't – if you watch a game, if you watch uh, Red Zone – um, you know, every week you see guys returning kicks. You didn't see that as much 15 years ago. That just didn't happen as much. It's just all playmakers now. Kickoffs are either touchbacks or touchdowns, it seems like now. Kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, how many times a guy, you know, how many passes now go for touchdowns? A lot more than used to. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know from watching, they're just big plays all the time. The, the middle of the field is wide open. The safeties aren't allowed to do what they used to be able to do. Ergo, those guys run down there without any fear, and so they, you know, they're just a lot of uh, open field uh, guys running down the field in open space, much more than there used to be. You know, you've built a reputation the last couple of years of coming on this show and dropping some pretty solid fantasy sleepers on us. And this isn't necessarily a fantasy question or an NFL question; it kind of doubles as both. But who are some of these playmakers that can kind of emerge this year that are off the radar a little bit right now? Well, Tavon Austin is not off the radar, is he? Can I no. say him? He had almost 300 yards rushing in the game against Oklahoma. I watched him play last year. He's not even a running back. I know. And it's one of those things people love to say, well, he's not very big. I don't know how he's going to make it in the NFL. Like, how many times do we have to see guys who aren't big do well in the NFL before people stop saying that? Yes, he's little, so he's subject to injury. But guess what? Big guys get hurt, too. You know, so it's uh, that is hokum. Forget that. Also, I think he's sort of like RG3 a year ago. Um, he's the wide receiver version of that. Remember, last offseason, I mean, last uh, preseason, we didn't know what RG3 was going to be because they didn't show us that much, um, the, the Redskins in the preseason. Then all of a sudden he comes out against the Saints in week one and sets the world on fire. I think that's what Jeff Fisher is doing. I think he's being cagey. They're not showing us a ton of Tavon Austin, but I think once the season gets going, they're just going to you know use him all over the field. And... Um, so I like him. I got I'm looking at my fantasy team right now. What do you think? It was an auction. It's a ten team league. Uh the one we did last night. Colin Kaepernick is my QB. My backup is Andrew Luck, which is crazy, isn't it? Andrew Luck is my backup QB. Yeah, I've seen this on Twitter. You have to have two QBs in the league? No. No. Okay. I got him. He was there and nobody was bidding on him. It was late in the draft and he was six dollars in a you know, two hundred dollars. Is your pot, you know, if I don't know if you've ever done auction, it's way yep. better than snake draft, by the way, from going forward. For going forward, you should try this. But I, Andrew Luck was my is now my backup. Then my big thing was this year in fantasy, got to have two good running backs. Forget the wide receivers. 
the quarterbacks are going to be the quarterbacks. Everybody's going to get a good one in a 10-team league, so you're never going to wind up in too bad a shape there. The main thing is to get two running backs, two good ones, because they're just they're not going to be, you know, there aren't going to be 25 good ones in the league this year. I got Doug Martin, and I got Shady McCoy, and then I backed them up with Ahmad Bradshaw. I think this is a potent backfield. How say you? Yeah, I mean, you have two guys who in a snake draft would go in the first round, a running back. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So I feel happy with that. Then I got Hakeem Nix, I think Deshaun Jackson. I think why, I think you say sleeper. I think that offense in Philly is going to be good. I don't know what the pieces are, though, beyond who's going to really shine, but outside of Shady McCoy and Deshaun Jackson. But, I, but if anybody will use Sh- Jackson the right way, it'll be uh, – It'll be uh, Chip Kelly, and then, uh, but a, a good sleeper, couple good ones actually. Josh Gordon of Cleveland is uh, going to be their number one receiver. He's a burner. He's got that uh, T.O. Randy Moss, uh, Ocho Cinco, bad boy um, pedigree. You know, he's got some uh, bad stuff in his past, and that's what you want in your wide receivers, obviously. Um, so he's a good one. I think Marcus Wheaton of the Steelers. Uh, has a chance based on everything people are saying about how he looks that he might be their best receiver. So maybe take a flyer on him if your league is deep. And a guy, how about this one? Sidney Rice. Sidney Rice is the number one receiver on the team that a lot of people are taking to go to the Super Bowl in the Seahawks. He's just never healthy. But if he ever is healthy, he's going to be there. He's going to be their number one receiver. And he was uh, that team took off when he got healthy last season um and and uh, Russell Wilson started to target him more and more you watch if, if he can just stay on the f- field which is a big if if he does you watch he's going to have a good year the last year he was healthy was the big season that him and Favre had together in Minnesota you got too it. yeah that's his that's his one healthy year that's the one healthy year he's had in the league and coincidentally or not uh look at how i mean he was he was as good as uh, almost anybody in the league that year what is the NFL season going to bring for Damashek? What kind of things are you going to be doing in the many different platforms that the NFL Network provides? I saw you last night on the uh, post-Football Life show. I loved it. Did you? Did you like it? Yeah, I liked uh, it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do better and better as we go along there. But, uh, yes, thank you. We, uh, I'll do that. So I'll do uh, Shame Report, although this year it's the Sheck Report. Oh. Because some GMs, like your GM uh, down in New Orleans, uh, Mickey, Mickey Loomis, Loomis didn't yeah. like that. He didn't like it. Really? He didn't. He didn't like the name Shane. He thought that was wrong to say that about players. Oh God. So um, it was so, really Loomis who did it too. Or are you kidding it about it? It was Loomis. Well, I don't want to tell tales. Potentially, out of yeah, right. Maybe, maybe he him. didn't like it. Right, maybe, maybe I heard that he didn't right. like think it was right to say shame on NFL players. Right. But then again, I'm an ineffectual loser. How much could I have hurt their feelings? But anyway. Imagine if you would have came out with the jerk report. Imagine the sort of hurt feelings you would have hurt then. I mean, this was a That's exactly this right. Is a t- this was a soft. Right. This was already softened. Right. Yeah, you're right. So, um, so you're going to say shock on you? I mean, I don't care. No, like, how are you going to do I it? I still like, say shame. Oh, okay. Seeing it, I go through the week, uh, the, the past weekend, and sort of point at things that, are, that were not uh, moments to be proud of. And... Uh, and no, I think I still say shame within it, but I just think so when you see it on the page, you won't see when you go to NFL.com, you won't see shame written across the face of Mark Sanchez or someone like that. Gotcha. Instead, it'll just be the Sheck reports, my review of the week, you know, a little softer. 
but yeah, I'll do that. I'll do the animated bit, uh, NFL some more. I'm doing Backstory, the show that follows football life, the documentary series. Like you say, that's on Tuesday nights. Um, a cool thing is on Thursday night football, which is the big ticket item on the network, I'm going to be doing with, uh, with some other fellas uh, Thursday night football extra. So if you go to NFL.com, or to to NFL Mobile, you'll be able to watch us. It's sort of a companion, if you will, to Second to the game broadcast. You just you sit there in the commercial breaks, and even when the game's on, they're gonna Matt Money Smith is going to be doing the play by play of the all twenty two camera. You know the one that you the coaches uh, film. That's the one you see. So he'll be doing that, and then me and Elliot Harrison and uh, Daniel Jeremiah will be kibitzing on the side just on an ongoing basis over the course of the game. So that'll be a fun thing. I don't know. I'm interested to see how it goes. Apparently a lot of people watch it. And, uh, and so they added me this year. So I'm looking forward to, to sitting there with the fellows and watching the big game. You guys do that right from LA or do you guys go to the state? No, no. Well, yeah, we'll do it from, from LA. Yeah. I'm not going to be on the road. I was on the road every week last year. That became quite exhausting, but yes. Uh, but who am I to complain? Going to football games ain't exactly a grind. So, Right. Well, Dave Damashek, you can find him on Twitter at Damashek all over the NFL networks and uh, NFL Network on TV, NFL.com, the Dave Damashek football program on iTunes. You're all over the place, Dave. It's so true. It's disconcerting. Um, but my mother likes it. Now, listen, you didn't even get my picks. What are your picks? What's your final four? My final four. Well, I do this every year. I go way too in with the Hard Knocks team. Ah, it's funny. I've yeah, been talking about the it. hard docs effect. It Every really year. suck you in. I think I this year is the in. one year it's okay to do it. Yeah, though. I like the Bengals. I don't think they're going to win an AFC Championship game, but I'll put them in my, in my final four. I'll say they're in there against, geez, I'm not big on Baltimore. Denver. Oh, my God. They're tempted. Yeah, I'll say Denver. I'll say Denver. Hopefully they don't have a safety to their cornerback decide to make the worst play ever in the playoffs again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say Denver for that, and then, geez, screw it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go all in with the Saints this year because there's not many years left with this group, and you know, I, I thought I was being a homer until I heard Sal and Simmons gush about what this team can be on the BS report the other day. So if it's not just me, forget it, screw it. I'm going Saints and Seattle. And I'll say Seattle, Denver. Well, it's a good pick. And here's the good thing about that. Although, see, you should go. Here's what I would su- suggest going forward. Make some, make part of it a little bit more out there. Because now if you get that one right, it's nothing to brag on because a lot of other people have All right, that pick. Screw Seattle. I'll say the Saints are going to beat Seattle. That's and that they'll play the, uh, play the Broncos. Second Saints versus Manning Super Bowl. Now we're cooking with gas, you see. That's the thing. And now here's the thing. That's what I wanted to say anyway. No one's going to remember. No one's going to remember if you were right or wrong, uh, you know, in February, unless you have reason to remind them. Listen, these picks will be nothing. Say, you know, say Titans versus, uh, you know, Rams. Who knows? If it happens, then you're a genius. You go, Mm -hmm. hey, listen to the tape. I said it back in early September, you know. You savvy? Your dad was a doctor. Did he do the whole, like, you only have six months to live thing when he kind of knew he could save the guy, and then when he saved him, you know, he'd run in and be like, 
we did it. You're good. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that's a diabolical thing. Right. I like that. Yeah. No, I don't know if he did that one. Yeah, but I like it. I've never Damage thought of that. about that. Yeah. That's a pretty good idea. I yeah. dig it. Yeah. It's kind of what you're saying with the football picks. Yeah, but, you're you know, exactly right. But sense, I like that right. one better. I'm going to tell that to some doctor friends of mine. Yeah. They'll look like heroes. Yeah. 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 And then they have to just give me like a 20% cut, and I'll give you 10%. I'll give you 50% of that, and we'll all go home happy. Yeah. I'm sorry to say this, sir, but it's really grim. Uh Start saying your goodbyes. You only have a few weeks to live, you know, and then a couple of weeks later they do the scan. Everything's good. We did it together. We revolutionized medicine. You're good. Mm-hmm. You I later. gave you something experimental and it worked. And, yeah. and, you know, I'm glad we could beat this thing. And even if they found out, they'd probably be happy. They'd probably say, or at least if it was a movie, they always, they would, at the end, they'd say, you did me wrong, but you know what? You opened my eyes to really appreciate life. Thank you, doctor. There's no downside to this one. This is a great scheme yeah. you've come up with. Yeah. I dig it. I'm an idea guy, you know, Dave? Yep, yeah. yep, clearly. All right, so what's your picks? I just hope you can be a shirt guy from now on. <laughs> Go ahead, your picks? Oh, I have um, Cincinnati and Houston in a unsavory for television because network execs won't yeah. like that, but... Yes. I say that's your AFC title game. I say that the Texans win the game, and they go to the Super Bowl. They play the Falcons who get there. I don't love the Falcons, but I just feel like that offense is unstoppable, and that's all there is to it, and their defense isn't terrible. It's just not great, which is good enough, like I say, in this day and age. So I say it's the Falcons, and uh, and they will play. If the Packers can get to the playoffs, I think the Packers will be better this year that's a tough division though so let's say falcons over packers to get to the super bowl and uh they will defeat the houston texans couple, in new jersey couple quick ones two thousand yards over or under for adrian peterson this year no way he's under? not getting two thousand yards yeah no he's not getting two thousand yards i made a side bet last night with somebody who who paid a lot to get adrian peterson and and i paid almost as much to get doug martin um, and he said, why would you, you almost, uh, you paid $5 less than I paid for, uh, the guy who had 2000 yards. I said, yeah, but he's not going to do it again. I bet you Doug Martin has better fantasy numbers, at least than Adrian Peterson this year. The whole first month of the season, pretty much was they punted on Adrian last year. Yep. He you're pretty right. much did all that in 12 games. I don't know. I know. He's a guy right, listen, I just, never I done it. He hasn't you know? ever done it before. So why all of a sudden? So he did it for twelve games. Well, I mean, that that equals he's going to do it again this year. Come on. Um, let's see what else did I want to know. Oh, uh, how many wins do you think Sean Payton is worth? They're seven and nine last year. Boy, good question. Um, obviously, I think he's worth a lot. I mean, I I, I I do think that, but, but man, that defense is really crummy. I mean, that's a really bad defense, and Rob Ryan is not a great coordinator. So I, I think no matter how good that offense is, and and it will be great. I don't know, man. Uh, two or three wins. I mean, I, I could see them ten and seven. Ten. I mean, ten and six ish, but. Is that going to be good enough to get them into the playoffs? Could I don't know. The, the NFC, NFC is loaded right. this year. There's so many good teams in the NFC. What if we said this in February? We were talking and we're like, you know, he just couldn't repeat his great rookie season, his second year in the league. Who are we talking about quarterback-wise? 
I'll tell you this. It's not a product based on like what we were saying 15 minutes ago. This sophomore slump thing is is jive. That doesn't. There's no such. Th- How many rookie QBs have there been in the last forty years? There aren't that many that start games and then oh well, every QB always falls back in his sophomore year. How many are we even talking about? Roethlisberger won a Super Bowl in his second season. Um, uh, who was I talking to? Who made a great point about? Oh, Dan Marino had a great uh, sophomore season. This thing of guys who play in their rookie season, like they always regress, is not is just a myth. That's not true. That they all do. Um, but to answer your question, Russell Wilson, RG three, Andrew Luck, and uh, I mean, there's Tannehill and Whedon too. But I, did they have that much success last year? Not really, right? So, um, no. no. So who's going to fall back? Well, of young QBs, I wouldn't be surprised. As much as we both just say we like the Bengals quite a bit, I wouldn't be stunned if next spring I'm in New York at the draft and and the, all the talking heads are saying, "Man, they gotta they gotta do something." You know, that team is so good, and they just need a better quarterback, and they have to get somebody right now. I could see that being a storyline. Um, you know, RG three could could regress you know if, if he can't do what he wants to uh as far as running the ball goes and i could see him regressing but man i just don't think any of those quarterbacks are gonna come out and be like yeah he's so mediocre this year i mean i think they're all gonna be good you know as long as they have good health in the guys who they're throwing the ball to then uh, they should all be fine this year any questions for me um what do you think about the sabers new jerseys <laughs> oh man, they're awful. Yes. Yeah, they're horrible, especially compared to the last third jersey, which I think they retired prematurely because it looked beautiful on TV. The light blue one that said Buffalo across the front. So true, man. Yeah. You're, you you hit the nail on the head. That was a great looking getup. Yeah, this is a disaster. Oh, it's all it's awful. And you probably haven't even seen the horrible thing that they're going to do with the A's and the C's because the jersey no. that they released don't have an A or a C on it. They have swords. And then the C is in between the swords. Uh, it looks so peewee-ish. Oh, you poor thing. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah, gold sweaters. Well, it's better than when uh, they, they the used to ones. wear the red, black, yeah. and silver. That made yeah. no sense. The yeah. Sabres at least need to wear blue and gold. Now they're wearing too much gold with that third sweater. Gold. Ugh, come on. Not good. All right. Thanks, bud. All right, listen. All the best. Enjoy football season, Bubba. All right, thanks to Dave Damashek for being on the show. We always love having the Dave on. Okay, we're going to move a little bit quicker here in the next couple of us segments just because we do have a lot of material today. Uh, but what we're going to do now is over under win totals. Don and I have put together four selections each. Uh, we'll go back and forth, and we'll check in on these in February and, and see how we did. Uh, I'm going to give you the the team, the under, and what you would have to lay out to bet it to win 100. Okay. Uh, And uh, we'll see. I actually did mine in order of if I was going to bet my own money, kind of the order I would do it. Like my first one is the team I would most want to bet on, second one, third one, and so on. Gotcha. All right. So my first one, I guess I'll start, 
is the Pittsburgh Steelers under nine. I love this. It's only minus 115 on the money, which is really good. That means you only have to lay 115 to win 100. The Steelers have to go 10 and six for you to lose this. Nine and seven's a push. And I just think if everything goes right for the Steelers, they're about a nine and seven, 10 and six team. And already it doesn't seem like everything's going right. The key example of that is their running back that they were going to hand this over to is injured and they're not exactly sure for how long. And Isaac Redman is the week one starter at running back. Uh, ben Roethlisberger is always running for his life there. And I don't know that the offensive line is any better this year. Uh, so you got to think he's going to miss a couple games. He almost always does. And I don't know. I, I just think that this is a team. The Bengals are better than they were last year. The Ravens are still the Ravens. And even the Browns are probably better than the Browns usually are. Yeah, I would think so. So uh, I, I love this. And to only have to lay 115 uh, all day, I like the Steelers under nine. All right, I don't have mine necessarily in that same order. But uh, I'm going to start with the Rams. Their number of wins is 7.5. And, and I'm going to take the under on that. Um, I think the Rams... That's actually plus money. That's plus 110. Okay, so that means if you bet 100, you win 110. Right. It's weird the way they write that because minus 140 means you have to wager 140 to win 100. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so that's plus 110. The Rams are a weird team because if you're the Rams and you only win six games or so again this year, you got to be feeling pretty lousy about your season and maybe even like Sam Bradford, like when is he going to take that next step? But that division is just brutal. They have four losses in that division, and I know they played San Francisco tight twice last year. They beat him and tied him. Yeah, but the, I mean that's just I I don't I think that's more a fluke. Uh I think they have four losses in the division. If Arizona's any better, Arizona could maybe beat them a game. I mean Arizona should be better cuz they have Carson Palmer instead of whoever they had there last year. Seven and a half wins means they got to win eight for me to lose this. And that's a really tough season to go 8 and 8 when two other teams in your division are probably going to win double digit games. Uh, so give me the Rams at the under. All right, I'm going to go with an NFC West team, and I'm going to take the 49ers under 11 at 140. The 49ers are not as good as they were last year. I know they're loaded on defense, but Crabtree isn't there, and there's really no wide receivers to speak of there. I don't know who Kaepernick is going to throw the ball to. We're always kind of waiting for Frank Gore to fall off the earth, and maybe he will, maybe he won't. Kaepernick's in his second year, and usually with quarterbacks, you can see even with Cam Newton had a pretty big regression between year one and two. Uh, I don't know. I don't love the Niners this year, especially considering if I'm going to take the over, they need to go 12-4. and 12-4 and four is a great record in this yeah. league. And the 49ers could easily go 10-6, and six, make the playoffs, and be happy with their season, and I could still win this bet. Uh, and I'll take the push if I have to at 11 and five, but I don't think they get to 12 and four this year. I really like the Niners under 11. That's minus 140 to win 100. Right, maybe of all of them, I like one of these next two I put up the most. I have San Diego. They are also a seven and a half. That seems like the uh, sweet spot there. I'm gonna bet them the under all day long. I know uh, minus 140 at that. Yeah, minus 140. I know Oakland is in that division, so there's two of your wins probably right there. But you're also going to be facing an improved Kansas City team and a team that should win. Wow, who am I forgetting in that division? Oakland, Kansas City, uh, the team that's going to win that division. 
Oakland, Kansas City, San Diego, and the fourth team that you're forgetting is the... Wow. I'm not going to let you off the hook here. I'm going to make you figure it out. I know who it is, but... Boy, Denver. Denver. Jesus, that's the team I was forgetting. Okay, so you got... Peyton Manning. As far as I'm looking there, you've probably got... You've got at least four. Maybe Oakland beats you once. So there's a fifth loss, and I don't... I've seen other people like the over on this. I don't see it. I don't know why San Diego is going to be a better team this year than they were last year at oh, all. They're going to be terrible. I like this one. I I think seven and a half is is way way too much to ask of that team. And uh, the betters agree because you have to put up one forty for this one. I like the Bengals a lot this year, and I think eight and a half is right about where it should be. But I like them to be over here. It's uh, plus. Or minus 160, so like you said, the betters seem to agree the money's going that way. And maybe it's I'm getting swayed by hard knocks, and I've admitted on this podcast that's happened to me before, especially in fantasy. But the Bengals would have went over the last two years on this, and i got to think they're a better team this year than last year, and I think the Steelers are a little bit down, like I said. And uh, I think that the Bengals are progressing to a point where I should be safe to assume that they're going to win 10 games this year, and that would more than clear it for me. So I like I like the Bengals at over 8.5. My next team is Detroit at 8 wins. I'm going to bet the under here also. Uh, again, this is about their division. Even if Detroit is a better team, and everyone has heard the stat this year that I think uh, – Matthew Stafford has one win against the team with a winning record. Well, there might be two of them. People think Chicago's improved this year, and Green Bay is just Green Bay. Green Bay is going to win 10, 11, 12 games just by showing up this year. And if Chicago flirts with 10 or 11 wins, are there really that many divisions where you've got two 10-win teams and like a 9-7 and seven team? I doubt it. I think this is easy money to at least push, and you probably will win this, and it's an even bet. So I would take them in the under. Uh, the last one I would like a lot more if the money wasn't so bad, but there's no way the Raiders are winning six games this year, and they're at five and a half. It's minus two hundred, so it's basically two to one. Wow! Uh, so terrible money there, but I just cannot see the Raiders winning six games. I think they'll be lucky to win three. If this was four, I might still pretty comfortably <laughs> like the under. I don't see much there. They're a train wreck. They've been a train wreck for a long time. And if the money was better, if this was minus 150, it probably would have been one on my list. So on these on these lines then, do they tend to not move the games? They just move the money? Right. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I'm picking a team with equally bad odds here for my last one. And I had all under, so I'm going to go with an over here, and that's Kansas City. Uh, they're at 7.5, and, and I'm going to take the over. People like Andy Reid, Jamal Charles is oh, healthier. healthier. He's a year and a half away or whatever from his – bad leg and uh not an overwhelmingly great division i don't i mean i just talked about the teams in it before they're going to get two win two of these wins against oakland there's no reason to think they can't get two of the other wins from san diego and then you just got to win four games out of your other 10 so i think that's very doable i think i think they flirt with a playoff spot probably this year i know they're kind of like the hip team from the afc that people are picking this year but I uh, tend to agree. I think the AFC is weak this year, too. Just out of curiosity, if I give you 100 bucks, but you had to put it on either the Bills over or the Bills under, what would you do at 6.5? Boy, that's tough. Uh, there's a red box around it right now. I think that means you can't bet it. Or I would guess it means it's off. Something. It might. Well, there's red boxes on a lot of these picks right now. Um, 
it's really tough because of EJ Manuel and Gilmore's news is what it is. He's out. But then you got Jarris Bird who's going to suffer a nagging injury all year. I know their schedule is actually a little bit weak according to some people or some sources I've seen. I would take the under. And our buddy or he's been on the show before anyway. Mike Shope talked today about how if there if you could bet 5, 6 or 7 wins or any other total this year, he would take the other total. He says that, and I kind of agree with this, either EJ Manuel is just going to not be good and the injury is going to be too much and the youth is going to be too much and the Bills are going to win like three or four games this year or Manuel is going to be good and they're going to go out and win nine games or maybe flirt with a playoff spot or something. In the NFL, there's not much difference between a six-win team and like an eight- or nine-win team. I... If I needed to bet it right now, I think I bet the under because of the injury uncertainty. And there's just there's just too much that can go wrong, I think, with that team right now. And the red box means that the bet is subject to betting maximums. It's hmm. quote-unquote circled, uh, which happens uh, when there's conditions, weather, injuries that could affect the outcome. Yeah, yeah. So that would be probably the manual injury. Gotcha. Yeah, uh I would probably take the under right now based on that information. All right, we're going to take a break and come back with Richard Deitch. UB, Sports Illustrated, Richard Deitch. What's up, bud? Wow, that's, that might be the shortest intro of all time. <laughs> You're getting very good at that. I appreciate that. How you doing, man? You... uh you uh, fighting with Ravel again today? I see, huh? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's fine. I mean, I, if, can you can we just sort of call it a fundamental um, difference of opinion as opposed to a fight? Everybody sort of wants to make these uh, Twitter exchanges fights, and I realize awful announcing compiles them. So yeah, they get so excited about it too. So they, they yeah. yeah, and I, listen, I, I'm, I, I, God bless them. Those guys do a really good job on their site. Uh, but it, people would be very surprised to know how little, like, I'm sort of thinking about it after the fact. You know, they think, like, I'm going home and I have, like, a poster of Rovell on my wall. Trust me, that's not the case. Uh, you know, in the midst of it, um, I'm certainly, uh, you know, I certainly want to reflect what I believe in. But, you know, once it's over for me, it's sort of over. But, um, but yeah, Rovell and I got into sort of to another discussion about journalism and um, and you know, it's sort of the the principle of taking things from entities right. or gifts from entities, but uh, yeah, you know, sort of a very silly journalism fight. So I would never be able to have a fight with him because he's one of these guys who, and this is the trend. It's like we, when we reach out to someone, one of two things happens: they say yes and they come on, or they say nothing. Right. Nobody like can say no. I don't understand what that trend. It's like if people don't want to come on, the way they do it is they just completely ignore you. I don't. I don't get that. So you you've invited him on, he and just no response. Right. Yeah. Just you know that air, Twitter, email, whatever. And it's not just him. Like that's apparently the industry standard for denying a request. No. Yeah. I don't. I'm not. I don't know if I would say that's the industry standard. I, I would say that. Um, I do think this, like, if you're in the sort of the communications business or the media business, um, and someone who, um, someone, you know, who's running like an independent or, not a friend, I shouldn't say independent, but someone who sort of, if you believe is sort of 
in the same business you're in and making an honest request of your time, I definitely think you owe it to them, if nothing else, just to get a quick response and say, hey, I'm not interested, thanks for your interest, or I'm interested, let's do this in a couple of weeks. Um, I, I would say that, you know, and again, I don't want this to come up taking a shot at Ravel, but you're a very easy Google search away from people finding out that you've had, you know, hundreds of legitimate sports media people on your show, so you're not coming from a place of, he's never heard of you. It literally would take one one quick Google search to find out. And then he certainly is a, he has every bit of his right to say, yeah, no, I'm not interested. But you figure, yeah, I, I think it would be, I think it's reasonable for you to sort of expect a response. And it's a shame that, uh, you know, he wouldn't even just sort of get back to you and say, hey, listen, dude, I'm just not interested. All right. So we have a lot to do in this conversation. And I obviously, I mean, everyone wants to hear us talk about making each other famous. Is that a fair way to put it? Like, Say that again? Like, I think the most anticip- this is the most anticipated appearance you've had on because it's the first time you've been on post our Twitter viralness. I mean, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, look, you know, I don't know if it's anticip- It's going to be the most anticipated appearance. My mom's but yeah. really excited. I can tell you uh, yeah, that but, yeah, uh, but um, yes, this is the first time since that uh, – you know, fateful night back in right. July. All right, where, so I have a um, question for you about sure, that. So how does a guy who follows over 500 people on Twitter, but not us, right, find something from our Twitter feed to tweet himself? How did that sure. happen? Okay, again, that night you were interacting with me, and as I often do, when I'm interacting with someone – um, especially, by the way, if I'm not following them, I'll scroll through their feed to sort of see just what they're up to because I find people's Twitter feeds infinitely fascinating. Mm-hmm. So that night, um, I, and I honestly don't even at this point remember what you were talking to me about, but I just I remember just you contacting me about. The, yeah. Do you remember? I think it was just small talk. You know, right? Like, it was, I think yeah. you're right. It was just small yeah. talk. So I I scrolled through your feed and I saw. This photo, it turns out it probably wasn't the best photo of this moment, but I saw a photo of you celebrating with your brothers after Yale had won its college hockey championship. And literally in my sort of head, is uh, the first thing that came to mind in my head was, man, that's such a cool photo that this guy has of one of like the great moments of his life. And then as I was sort of just thinking more about it, I think after I even left your feed, I was like, man, like... Imagine if you actually had a great – imagine if you had the single best moment of your life as an image or a photo, like just how amazing that would be. Um, and I sent that question out, which is more amusing. Um, you know, and I did I – had, I hat-tipped you for the, um, for the idea because I had seen that photo, and that was the photo that sort of um, – And that was know, what I cued, had cued – my, Cued my question, and then, right. uh, yeah, and then everything else happened from there. Now – what do you like looking back on this now a little bit? Like, what's the coolest thing that came out of it in your opinion? Like, what were you most excited about? Was it like, I don't know, Good Morning America, or was it CBS, or was it just the pictures themselves, or or what about looking back? Like, I don't know. I'm just curious. Like, what was your no, no? It's part? a good question. Yeah. I I don't think. I mean, as as uh, all the interest was certainly like really cool, and I uh, and I really appreciate those news organizations taking an interest, but. The, the most uh, this is an easy question to answer. Right. The coolest thing was people basically trusting, uh, trusting you with photos. You know, photos of like the most incredible moments of their life, and to be able to sort of be a part of these like, you know, wedding ceremonies and uh, graduations and army people coming back um, from war, seeing their family for the first time to like these incredible athletic achievements. 
Um, like that was easily the best thing. And I'm not even sort of trying to like, um, you know, oversell it. Like the, the fact is like, it was just pretty thrilling that people would send you these like singular moments of their life. Um, and then, you know, be very cool about forwarding, um, those photos on my Twitter feed to, to the people who are following me. Um, there's no doubt like the, um, the news attention was cool just because there were like a lot of people who like from the legitimate places that took interest. CBS Evening News spent like three weeks basically on that uh, piece. They did a beautiful piece. Uh, uh, they really sort of knocked it out of the park. So that was really cool to sort of see how they did that from conception to the end. But the, yeah, I think the thing that was most exciting was just that, uh, was that people trust me with the photos and I, and there's no doubt I, I got probably like, uh, I interacted with, you know, I'm sure as you did too, probably hundreds and thousands of people yeah. I would have never interacted with in a million years. Do you remember the picture of the younger kid on the hospital bed with the Giants jersey? Yes, I do. So I do remember that, that very was, much. That's one of my favorite ones because I, he, I don't know if he mentioned it in his tweet. I think in his tweet he was more specific, but when I, I talked to him about it, he had mentioned that it was a result of his Crohn's. And I, I think you know that I've struggled, especially in the last year with Crohn's. So it was really cool because then we started talking back and forth about our experiences with Crohn's. And, uh, I think well, that's, we, we that's both like got a lot of the power, of, that. like the power I mean? of social media is yeah. that the fact is like this sort of you know, single best moment Twitter project, I just think it put a lot of people together who would have never um, been put together, including when you – and I'm sure this happened to you. You'd send a photo out. And, you know, let's say if it was of, you know, twins being born, and then you'd have people who saw that photo who also had twins contact the person whose photo it was, independent of me or you as the middle person. And that was pretty cool just to sort of watch uh, people being sort of linked together just by the power of these photos. One last thing about this. It's kind of a silly thing, but I, I, I wish we could talk about this more. There's a lot of stuff I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, so you go to my Twitter and you look around, and you see this kind of cool thing, and it morphs right. into this other thing, and it blows up, and it's, as you've said several times, the best thing you've ever done on Twitter. Yet, Correct. we are still not worthy of a follow? Well, again, <laughs> I, I do not take this personally. I think I've told, but, but people take Twitter follows more personally <laughs> than they do their children. Uh, I, as I think I've said to you a million times, you tweet out very specific, generally for the most part, local Buffalo stuff, right? I don't know. Do I? I think that's true. Yeah. yeah. It's it's so I'm. It, don't take it personal that I'm like not. Fo- I'm following you even if I don't hit the follow button. <laughs> like I, I, I'm occasionally sort of checking out your feed, but I'm following so many people and there's so much sort of data coming at me that I have to like. I have like one or two Buffalo feeds at the most because I can't be inundated with too much stuff. I, I mean, I realize I feel like that's a cop out. And I know you're going to take this personally, but that is not the reason. The other thing I think even now more so is I kind of like the fact that you're bothered by me. <laughs> no, that's I think the that's number my one favorite part of it. Sure. Yeah, that's definitely the reason. I always tell people that. Yeah. But, I mean, if nothing else, you have to admit that this, uh, this project certainly upped your numbers, right? I mean, this was, you know, oh, in the yeah, end. Absolutely. So many more people came in contact with you and, I guess, in theory, I mean, my should come in contact with the podcast. My original tweet was essentially the exact same thing you tweeted, but I didn't have the Twitter juice to get it going like you did. You know what I mean? So, like, when you sent it out and you got it going, since you, you I think you had 70,000 at the time. I mean, only had, like, 600 at the time. So then you got it going to a level that I would have never been able to. And, yeah, I mean, I, it's been great for us. I mean, I, I was 
you know, I, it's one of the best things I've ever been a part of too. You know well, what I mean? Like cool. I, hopefully, I, I mean, so. hopefully it, it, uh, it will open up a door for you guys to, um, to interview some people that maybe you couldn't get. Like, for example, uh, I don't even know if you've reached out to them, but you could probably at this point try to get some sabers and bills. And I would think they would come on the podcast. That would be my guess. I don't know that for a fact, but we don't that do many. We don't do many athletes. They're so boring, you know. I don't know. But um, but what about an athlete who's interesting? You know, I mean, yeah. I gotta believe there's some, there's some athletes in Buffalo who are, um, you know, who probably if nothing else, you could talk to them about just sort of the media and how they see the media, how they interact with the media, who, you know, um, you know, what's it like being sort of on the other side? You know, uh, I, but yeah, I agree with you. The podcast, your podcast in general, is a media podcast, so I realize you don't want to go sort of too far afield with an athlete podcast. You kind of mentioned, like, it opening doors, and I got to think Eisen is a good example of it because initially I thought Eisen agreed to do it because of our relationship with Damashek. And when I talked to Dave about it, I kind of asked him, you know, what was the conversation? And he's like, I haven't seen Eisen. I didn't know. He's like, and Eisen's kind of pretty stingy about his time. I'm really surprised. You know, congratulations. That's a great get. So I got to figure it was that because I remember he was talking about that on his podcast one time. Well, yeah, I mean, again, you know, you now, and I would sort of suggest this to you, whatever, um, whatever media uh, was, you, you know, sort of came from this project, you should include on, uh, you know, certainly your site, and secondly, pitches, because I, am I right about this, that CNN.com led with, you're in that piece, right? I yeah, know that. CNN.com was big, like, a lot about us. There was one in the New Haven one, that the New Haven Right, one right, so if, if nothing else, us. whenever you're trying to get somebody... I mean, send that as an example of uh, something that goes beyond um, the podcast, because I think people in the media, if they see that, hey, these guys were written about on CNN, it sort of gives it a little bit more added juice and, um, and credibility. But Eisen is a good get. I mean, again, you know, you're getting a network um, NFL person. Um, that's, generally, that's generally not the easiest to get. And the other thing, too, is even you know, sort of covering this, uh, you know, a, a lot of times, most people will want you to go through PR, and there's a lot of levels of PR, and sometimes the PR staffs are the ones who, like quite that. frankly, prevent yeah. you from interviewing talent. So that's, yeah, yeah, getting Eisen's a good get, and a very good get because he's got his own podcast, so he certainly understands the media. All right, a couple quick things I want to talk to you a little bit about football media. Uh, Oberman, what have you thought about it so far? Um... I think it's been interesting, uh, you know. I, I, you know, as I've written, like if you are a fan of his, I think you really, really will like the show. If you are not a fan of his and you dislike him, I don't think you're watching the show at all because the show is so driven by a single personality. Um, that said, as a TV program, it's been pretty interesting because he's just done some stuff that you don't see on TV. I mean, he's like twelve-minute kind of takedown pieces. He did one with Pete Prisco. He did one with Minnie Schmidt of the Daily News. I mean, these are not things you see on sports television, um, where it's a guy really attacking, uh, you know, sort of a column or the veracity of a column on national sports television. So, uh, I mean, you may dislike he's done it. I would just say as a television thing, it, it was pretty interesting and smartly done because he's a, you know, Overman clearly is a very, very good writer and um, researcher. Uh, you know, the interviews, I think, have been mixed. Um, you know, a lot of that's just going to be sort of if you like to guess or you don't like to guess. But it's an interesting alternative to SportsCenter and Fox Sports Live, um, which is what ESPN wanted. That, that was the whole ballgame. It's, can we create some show that's not a highlight show, that's not a new show? And I think they've done that. Uh, the ratings have been um, a mixed bag so far, but a lot of that is because of the U.S. Open. We'll, got a real, we'll get a real sense of how good 
this show, or I shouldn't say how good, but we'll get a sense of whether viewers are tuning into this show come, I would say, the middle of September, October. And maybe to some degree, Oberman ending up on ESPN and Whitlock ending back there, and a lot of these things are maybe a response to you know a new player in town and, and maybe what ESPN thinks they have to do to stay ahead of the curve. What do you think about Fox Sports 1 and how they've done so far and, and what kind of impact do you think they can have on ESPN's position? Yeah, first of all, I don't. There's first of all, the, the Oberman and Whitlock coming back. I think the, the singular reason for both of them coming back is because of the creation of Fox Sports One. I don't. Right. I personally don't think. I mean, there may be other reasons, but I think that is absolutely reason number one in terms of Fox Sports One. I mean, it's still so early to sort of make a judgment. I think there are some things that they've done that have been pretty good, and then there have been other things that have done that they've done that are unwatchable. Um, you know, I think Fox Sports Live, which is sort of their flagship show, um, is. You know, it's sort of mixed. The panel really is kind of a mess. It, you know, I think the chemistry is a little bit off. I'm not sure the the whole, you know, sort of idea of going from a highlight reader back to a panel, back to a highlight reader is working. I like the two Canadian guys a lot. I think they're really smart and funny. Um, so I like watching them. But the, the Fox Sports Live is, a, is sort of still very mixed for me, and it's very unclear whether they're going to be able to cover hardcore news when, it breaks. And then the rest of the channel, I think, is more about, like, you know, uh, whether you like that kind of content or not. I've watched the Regis show a couple times. It's okay at best and at worst, kind of hard to watch. I think Fox's soccer coverage has been good. I like seeing, like, Champions League stuff in the middle of the day. If you're a UFC fan, I think the live bouts have been pretty good. Fox Football Friday, Fox Football Daily has been actually a pretty good show. That might be their best show so far. Because I, I think Randy Moss has been good. I think the NFL yeah, talent good. there is generally good. Um, Fox College Saturday, you know, it's not horrible, but it, it gave, in my opinion, gave you zero reason to watch that over college game day. I'm not sure why a college football fan would ever choose that over game day. So you know, it's sort of like if you go around the, the if you go around the channel, I think there's good and bad. But whatever Fox Sports One is right now, the only thing I can tell you is 100 days from now, it's going to be very different. You mentioned the choices, and I want to do a couple NFL things here. And one thing that, like, when I think about watching the NFL on TV, especially before 1 o'clock on Sundays, you can literally go 20 different spots. Where, where would you go? If, if I just gave you the remote at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning and said you can watch one thing, what would you watch and why? I wouldn't watch one thing, so that would be my answer. I'd actually, I would actually probably channel Bounce flip. around, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, because I don't really think one show is particularly like the show of record. So I would probably flip around to a duffer a couple of different ones. One show that would definitely be in my rotation is Fantasy Football Now, which I think is actually a really good um, pregame show because it's a service show. It actually provides you with information that you really, really can use as a kind of opposed to the you know, traditional guy talk on the NFL. So I like that show. That's ESPN2 at 11 o'clock. You know, in terms of the other shows, I, literally I would flip around. I, you know, I think there are some weeks Fox NFL Sunday is better than the CBS NFL today. I think their week's CBS NFL today is better than uh, better than Fox. You know, um, I think ESPN has its strengths. I think their features are really good. You know, is the panel good? I think they're okay. Um, NFL Network can be really, really comprehensive. I like their reporters very much, especially their uh, um, sort of their their writers in the field at different places. Um, but again, I'm not really a big Irvin fan, so I don't particularly love that set all the time. So I, 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 you know, I'm not trying to cop out of the answer, but in all honesty, I think I would probably just flip through the dial, and if like a particular moment uh, captured me, I would stick with that um, particular channel at that time. You seem to 
honestly believe, and I'm not saying it's the right or wrong opinion, but it seems like you, as much as anyone out there in discussing this, really seems to believe that the NFL bullied ESPN in this frontline concussion thing, huh? Yes, I do. I believe that, um, you know, bully is an interesting word. I believe the NFL pressured um, the highest levels of Disney and ESPN management into backing off on the partnership. Um, I don't think this means that ESPN is not going to report on concussions. I think they absolutely will. Um, and I think they'll still employ very, very good journalists. But I think in this particular case, because I think Frontline had a very or has a very powerful documentary that raises some serious questions about the NFL and, and you know, sort of concussion protocol and what these hits have done to these older players. I think the NFL got a little spooked on that. I think ESPN's a big partner for them. I think the NFL has some serious leverage on ESPN. And I think, yeah, I think over lunch, as, the, as James Miller reported for the New York Times, I think there was a message delivered that, hey, we, we need you to back off on a partnership from this one. And, you know, on the ESPN, I think they probably lost a little sort of face and lost a little credibility with those who, you know, who poop, or, you know, in terms of sort of the independent objectivity world. But, you know, at what price? I mean, I don't know if the price is, is big or at all. People are still going to watch ESPN. The NFL is sort of happy that ESPN took the hit here. And what's lost is that, you know, there's, you know, it's a, it's a bad look in that there's probably some viewers out there who now wonder, hey, are we getting independent journalism from ESPN or are they just a sort of another tool of the league? That, that's the downside. That's what they got to live with. But, yeah, I absolutely believe that the NFL in this case pressured ESPN to get out of a formal partnership with Frontline. And do you think it worked? Because I know that already they've switched that from a two-part series to a one-part series. Like, Do you think that not having ESPN involved in this project is going to hurt Frontline and getting their message out ultimately? No, I think the, the documentary I think will be seen. I think where it hurts is that what ESPN can do is it can really generate a lot of publicity for a project. When they get all their platforms going, you know, when you see people doing the car wash and you see things being mentioned on ESPN.com, ESPN Radio, ESPN2, ESPN News, uh, that's really where they have such a powerful mechanism to, to sort of you know, to, to just they can they can turn something into a trending topic in in ten minutes if they want to. That's just the might of that place. So that's where I think the frontline doc is heard. Is I think had the partnership existed, I think ESPN would have really pushed people to watch it. Now I don't think ESPN is going to push anybody to watch it. But because of all this, um, because of all the news about them 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 getting out of the partnership, the one thing that did did do is it will probably get. Um, it probably it gives pro- frontline free publicity come the first week of October when I think all these people are going to write here's the document here's a documentary you did ESPN didn't want you to see or the NFL I should say didn't want you to see. Do you think this documentary is going to do things that the Head Games documentary didn't do? Did we need this documentary ultimately? I got no idea what's in the documentary. Oh, you I didn't know see that, Games? Yeah, I just know that Frontline is basically the best in the business when it comes to journalism and the Fainaru brothers who. Um, worked uh, on this documentary and who have a book coming out, I think it's called League of Denial, are as good a journalist as any in this country. So I would imagine, yeah, I would think this will be an incredibly powerful documentary with significant new news, or if nothing else, um, done in a way to sort of explain the concussion uh, situation maybe better than any other film has ever done. So yeah, I think it's going to be pretty good. Head Games was really good too. I'm pretty sure the director was the Hoop Dreams guy. I think. Didn't see it, but yeah, yeah I mean, if, uh, I think that's Steve, Steve Schmady, but if, yeah. if that's who the director was, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a really good director and obviously a, 
respected documentarian. So I have I haven't seen it. I have no doubt that if it's done by him, it's pretty good. I would expect this to be this to be really good too. Two quick things before we let you go on the NFL. One is I know the NFL and Directv have started to talk about the exclusivity of the Sunday Ticket package, and I'm pretty sure that there's only one more year left in that. Do you have you heard anything about this? Is there any rumblings about whether the NFL wants to take this to cable or if they're gonna? I have not. John Oran would be the guy who's probably very tight with that. But um, the one thing that the NFL, I would imagine, if that became open market, I would think they can get a lot more money, even though DirecTV is ponied up a lot of money to them. So it would not surprise me at the same time, and he's closer to this, uh, you know, I'd have to see how many millions of homes have DirecTV because this, uh, I don't know if you have it, but this cable package is one of the, is, is this not sort of like the, one of the most important things that a DirecTV subscriber It's the only reason I have it. I mean, yeah. li- I mean, literally, it's the reason I have it. I mean, I need exactly. to have it. So, so, uh, that, so that would mean two things to me. One, DirecTV would probably pony up anything to keep it. And the second thing would be the NFL would have to make like a, a, a value judgment on, okay, if we left DirecTV and we, 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 we put this package open market, um, how many viewers – would we potentially be losing against how much money we could get from a new entity? So I think that's what they would ask themselves. But um, but I could see it happening because I think, I mean, that could be, the NFL could be making a fortune on that package. I mean, that if that went up to open market, that that would be really interesting. Yeah, I would think DirecTV has to do everything they can to keep that because... I would think they would. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think a lot of their business is predicated on that package. So I would... You know, I don't know their finances, but I'd have to believe they would pony up as much as they could. Uh, last quick thing, we'll let you go. Um, the booths this year, uh, anything interesting you there? Anything you want to check out? Yeah, well, tomorrow, actually, we're taping this on uh, – well, actually, I should say Thursday. We're taping this on Tuesday. Right. Um, the I'm going to have a broadcast preview on the MMQB. I did a studio preview this week for Peter King's new site. Yeah. Uh, this coming week is the broadcast preview. I think the biggest broadcast change – probably comes in from Fox, where Fox has reshaped sort of the depth of their broadcast lineup. They've, uh, they've really changed, uh, you know, sort of um, teams when you sort of go from, like, number four to number seven. And the biggest change is bringing in Kevin Burkhart, who's a Mets sideline uh, reporter who's going to be doing play-by-play with John Lynch. Aaron Andrews is going to be part of that crew. I think Fox would really like that crew to ultimately establish themselves sooner than later as, like, the number two crew behind Buck and Aikman. And I think they've got a shot because Burkhart is a really talented broadcaster. He seems to uh, mesh well with Lynch. They're not going to put Aaron Andrews on a broadcast that they don't want big games on. So that's a big move for Fox. I mean, Fox needed to strengthen their depth of their broadcast lineup. I think, um, you know, the Brian Billick uh, had a really bad playoff game, if you remember the yep. film Brenneman, uh, Tom mm-hmm. Brenneman, Brian Billick team. Uh, Kenny Albert, Moose Johnson, Tony Saragusa. I think are very mixed. I think Kenny's really good, but yeah, those, kind of those analysts, depending on the day, are I think hit or miss. So Fox really needed some some depth, and I think this team um, has a real shot to to do that. But you know, a lot of a lot of things have sort of stayed the same. You know, the the Monday night booth stays the same again with Tarico and Gruden this, to the two man team the second year. Obviously, NBC Michael's Collins with the Foya stays the same. Not a lot of changes in CBS broadcast teams. In fact, I don't think any changes. In fact on their broadcast team. So, and the NFL network stays the same with Mayock and Nestler. So, um, the, the one thing with most of the broadcast booths this year is just for the most part, very, very similar teams. You enjoying the stuff you're doing on Monday morning quarterback. I thought you killed it with the, uh, with the hard knocks thing. Yeah. I am. Yeah, I, really I, I like that. being part of, uh, 
well, one, it was just, it's just fun to be part of something new, which is, which is great. And, and there's a lot of excitement at this place over Peter's new site. I like him. So I like working with him and his group. And, you know, we just, we didn't have like anything that's kind of like Grantland here, you know, and I'm not saying this is like Grantland at all. It's, it's a different site. It's much newer. I think those guys have a much bigger staff than we do, but I just, I wanted, you know, I've worked at SI for a long time. And so I haven't gotten a chance to be part of something at the beginning. And that was was pretty exciting for me is to like sort of be part of this new enterprise. And I'm not a full time staffer there. I'm just really writing once a week. But just to be sort of asked by him to do this was very cool. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I mean, it's a lot more work, but um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And he sent me to Cincinnati, and that was a lot of fun. I'd always wanted to see what Hard Knocks was like behind the scenes, and um, and I worked. You know, to be very honest, I worked really hard on that piece. I'm. I'm glad you read it, and I'm glad you liked it because I really wanted to try to capture what it was, uh, what it was like uh, being with that crew. Yeah, we I loved it. We had the the director of Hard Knocks on last year. He was really kind to yeah, us. Yeah, great. Yeah, he was really good, and I love Hard Knocks, and I thought it was a really cool piece. Really learned a lot on it, and we had um, Greg and Jenny on the show. Uh, Excellent. Yeah, Greg, ca- Greg came on the day after it launched, and Jenny was on the next week. And I remember after I talked to Greg, I was kind of thinking like, all right, he he makes a lot of sense in the fit, you know. And then when Jenny came on. It's just like I love. It just seems like the ideas that her and also uh, Robert will come up with just seem like different in a way. Like it seems like they can bring a whole new, like a younger, fresher. I don't know. And I really love what Peter's done with video. I like the site a lot so far. I really do. Well, I appreciate it. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, Jenny and and Robert are both in their twenties. Right. They look at the NFL differently. Their you know their memories are different than than Peter's. They have fresh eyes. So. They're going to be uh, interested in different things. So you have to have a site. This is kind of a genius, I think, of Grantland. You have to have a site that mixes young and you know middle age or old, but mostly more young than not, because like you you want your site to sort of feel fresh and current. So I think King made some smart hires in that he, you know, as he, he hired these two twenty-something really good reporters in Jenny and Robert. He hired a thirty-something guy in Bedard. He's pretty wired to the league, and then he brought in like Andrew Brandt, who's uh, you know, former manager who could do stuff. And then he sort of just got different parts. You know, Richard Sherman's our, like, player guy who sort of has columns. He's got me doing media, which is something that, you know, there's no other place that sort of just has a football media-only column. we got the, you know, obviously a fantasy column, which most places do. So, yeah, I mean, the idea was to sort of, you know, have something on the site every day that's that's not, you know, you're not going to find anywhere else. I don't know if we'll do that every day, but I think that's the goal. Yeah. I like the 10 things from the athletes, too. Somehow that's Yeah, I like that, too. I agree yeah, with you. I think yeah. that's been pretty cool. All right. Well, I already kept you longer than I said it would, so I'm going to let you go. Richard Deitch from Sports Illustrated, sportsillustrated.com, now Monday Morning QB, all over the place. Thanks a lot for the time. We appreciate it. And uh, right. thanks for all and that my... Twitter stuff. It was fun. No, I've listened. I agree with you. And uh, please say hello to Lee Jenkins. I know he'll be, <laughs> he'll be on your podcast sooner, soon enough. All right, man. All right. Take care. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Stephen Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonette Ocho Cinco, TJ Pushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. All right, that's the five on fantasy, which means we're back to this segment. I want to start off by thanking Richard Deitch, and we're going to get back into the way we will run it most weeks here, and that's uh, starts and sits, and then we'll usually have something a little bit different at the end. This being the first 
uh, real or official five on fantasy of the 2013 season, we're going to do some season long uh, projections and award predictions. So I'm going to start with the starts this week. These are, if you ever read Matthew Barry, we can compare it to his kind of love hate column. Uh, obviously, we're not going to. We try to throw out guys that are a little bit less obvious, maybe for starts and guys that you might want to temper expectations with for sits. My QB start this week is Big Ben. Uh, chances are, if you're in a ten-team league, he's almost unstartable just because you probably drafted somebody that's better than him. But in a twelve-team league, maybe if you waited on quarterback and he somehow ended up as your only quarterback because guys drafted backups before you got your starter, which happened in a league I was drafting in last week. Big Ben versus Tennessee is as good a time, or versus Tennessee, they're at home, is as good a time as any to start him. He's healthy, his receivers are healthy, and basically a healthy Big Ben is all you can ask for with him. So if you're going to start him, this is the time. All right, for my sits this week, I'm going to take a little bit of a cop-out, but it's to make a bigger point. And I think it's it's a starts and sits is sort of about strategy, right? Like what strategy you're going to take. And I think... This week, more than any other week, should be the easiest week to fill out your lineup. Yeah, you really shouldn't. And I'm going to say this about starts and sits, and I, I know it's a cop-out. But I'm going to say this. Start your be- start yeah, start your, your starters and bench your backups. Right. You draft them for a reason. You should not be looking at matchups this week. There is no reason to sit a top-10 quarterback, a top-10 running back, for big or bad. a top-10 right, right. wide receiver. No, absolutely not. Um, so I know that's a cop-out, but I kind of wanted to make a bigger sure, point no. with this segment. Absolutely. In, in one league, I drafted, actually after drafting Jimmy Graham, I drafted Rob Gronkowski a few rounds later because I hated the wide receivers and quarterbacks there. He would be my flex typically, but since he's not playing, I have to actually look a little bit deeper, uh, and I might actually have to make a decision based on matchups. But, yeah, absolutely. If Your roster in any league – like ESPN, NFL.com, should have filled itself out already. And that's good. Don't touch right, it. Yeah. yeah, leave it alone. That You drafted those players in that order for a reason. So I will give a, a more realistic flex, maybe type one. But, no, I, I think quarterback was where I wanted to say this. was just because it yeah, should absolutely. be a real easy yep. decision. Yeah, don't start Big Ben if you also drafted Drew Brees. That's ridiculous. Or who has a tough match? Don't start him over Aaron Rodgers who's playing in San Francisco. Right. Start Rodgers. Yep. It's okay. He's a stud for a reason. Yep. You got an RB or a wide receiver you want to throw out? Do you want me to do all of them? Oh, it's up to you. Okay. You got one you want to throw out? or Sure. Uh, my running back start this week is Daryl Richardson. Again, with everything. This is where we can help someone because running back, Wide receiver, you might have a flex spot, and that might be where it's a question of, you know. Sure, maybe you drafted Andre Brown in the sixth round, and that was going to be your flex or something. Dale Richardson is home versus Atlanta, or I'm sorry, versus Arizona. And if you're worried at all that Isaiah Peed suspension is the only thing that's keeping him from being the starter, it doesn't matter this week because he's suspended for at least, or he's suspended for this game. So Dale Richardson's going to get starter type time in a game against a bad defense, well, a bad run defense anyway, uh, get him the ball. Let, let him start for you. Or He's, he's probably he's actually flex-worthy, I would say. Yeah, I'm just going to throw out a flex-worthy wide receiver that I like quite a bit because it was one that came up for my lineup. And I like T.Y. Hilton a lot at home against Oakland this week. Uh, he was a guy who was out of my starting lineup as it was set by... ESPN, and in that spot, they had Monty Ball. 
and I like Hilton more than Ball this week. Yeah, Ball's an interesting guy because you had to draft Ball high if he's on your fantasy team, but he might be the type of guy you want to wait a week and see what the heck Denver's going to do. Kind of with rookies, it's that way for me. I kind of want to see what a lot of the rookies are going to do before I rush into them, especially at the running back position. If you had the same... Lacey, I would probably start no matter what. Yeah, I, I probably agree with that. If you had the same scenario, but instead had Darius Hayward Bay, would you start Hayward Bay over Monty Ball? No, too? no, probably not. You're not worried, even though he's probably the second guy technically on the depth chart. Well, I think that's an outside inside kind of a thing. Right, right, right. right. I don't know. I, I'm pretty confident with Hilton. Not, I. You know what? Hayward Bay is more of a. I want to wait and see how they use him in real games. Sure. Yeah. Okay, my wide receiver starts this week. I actually have. Two. Well, one's a tight end, but uh, we talked earlier, I believe, in the open or in some other segment, we talked about Zach Sudfeld. Uh, again, if you're going to use him, these are the weeks because there's no Gronkowski. He's the only tight end on a team that uses tight ends. Uh, and he plays Buffalo, who historically can't stop the tight end. Their secondary is terrible. Uh, Jairus Bird being nicked up a little bit doesn't help this. So he's he to me is almost a must start, especially if I mean if if you drafted him only have one tight end, you're obviously starting him, but no better time than now. Uh, and my wide receiver start is Lance Moore. And maybe he's a guy you're considering for your flex. He's playing Atlanta. Atlanta gives up, as I said earlier, a lot of yards passing, and really start all your Saints and all your Falcons because this will probably be a high. Yeah, it's going to be a high scoring game. I like the over there. Yeah. All right, you want to get into awards? Anything else week one wise, strategy or otherwise you want to? Throw Did you out? have any sits that you wanted in particular, or uh, a ball? Like I, I mentioned, ball. I'd probably sit him. Uh, Just to wait and see. You know, wait and see. Uh, I'm not super high on him this week. Again, you would have had to have drafted. Going back to what we said earlier, you would have had to drafted like two quarterbacks really, really late. Like say you drafted Big Ben and Eli or something to really think matchups here. Just. That what you said makes more sense than probably even anything I said about individual players. Just don't overthink it week one. Start your studs and don't overreact after week one if you come out of it with a loss. Yeah, like another example is like maybe the Bengals running backs. Yep. I kind of wait and see, I kind of want to wait and see how that plays out for a week. Sure. I don't know. I want to rush Bernard or Green Allison in my lineup this week. They would maybe be some guys I would probably sit. That right, you know, wouldn't go against the strategy that I mentioned initially, but I think it just makes more sense this week to sit your backups and, and start the team that you drafted in the in those big rounds. This yeah, week. don't don't get cute week one. All right, and what we're going to do in this segment is year long projections. Since, like we said, it's hard to predict much of anything right now with uh, no games having been played, situations not panning out. But we're going to give out our. Early, early, early predictions. Uh, I'll start with the. I'm gonna just go right down the list. The yeah, MVP. Uh, it's really easy to pick Adrian Peterson here, but I kind of thought most valuable in reference to where he where you drafted him. So the guy the guy I picked for MVP isn't much further down that list, but I'm gonna say Jamal Charles. Uh, you probably could have gotten Jamal Charles anywhere from the second pick to maybe as low as like the eighth pick or so. And if you got him there, I think he could represent some great value. He should be 100% healthy. He's got Andy Reid, who's going to use him more in the passing game. And he's always a home run threat. So based on where you drafted him, I think 
Jamal Charles will be my fantasy MVP this year. Uh, I have a fantasy MVP kind of along the same lines, more of like a value-based drafting MVP, and it's a PPR-specific, and it's Reggie Bush. I think he's going to have an absolutely huge, huge year. Where you drafted him probably is an RB2 in a PPR league. You're going to get RB1 production out of him. I bet he catches 75 balls. Uh, He's going to get yards. The Lions move up and down the field. They score points. Uh, yeah, my if if RG three or Randall Cobb was the MVP of last season because of the value you got out of where you drafted him, Jamal Charles isn't the gutsiest choice. But uh, yeah, I total I was looking for a guy like Bush, but maybe a Giovanni Bernard if he breaks out would be an interesting guy there too. Uh, my bust for the season, don't know why. This is a hunch more than anything. I think it's just that I don't like the team and they they looked terrible at the end of last year. And that's Doug Martin. Uh, again, I picked a guy that you had to draft really early. It could happen. Maybe as yep. early as number two. Uh, and if he is a bust, he's going to destroy your fantasy team because, again, of the value you had to get him at. Uh, I hate the team more than I hate the player. And it didn't matter if you're Adrian Peterson last year, but I don't know that Doug Martin can survive if his entire team is not good. And it's a tough division, too. They're going to be playing from behind a lot. This is one that... I don't know if I have a great reason for it necessarily. It's more like a gut or a hunch, and it's something we've talked about a bit on the show, and it's Marshawn Lynch. I just don't know why. Maybe it's because of the kind of guy and player he was when he was here. I just don't think he's going to have the kind of year he had last year. It kind of contradicts in a way what I think about the Seahawks, because I do think the Seahawks will be pretty good this year. And I I like Russell Wilson a lot. I just I don't know. I I keep hearing that Lynch probably isn't going to be on this team next year because of contract issues. And, and they like that Christian Michael. Yeah, so. I don't know. I, I just I think Lynch is going to prove to be way overdrafted this year. Next, we're going to go through the three position uh, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and just give our players of the year. With quarterback, I'm going to go with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, that's not much of a stretch, but it is what it is. I was just asked to pick the best one. <laughs> yeah, same. I'm going to go with Breeze. Uh, Breeze has been the best one. For really the last three years, unless he got really kill killed you. for interceptions yep. last year, then uh, you know he might have not been first. But in ESPN standard scoring, he was first last year. So I'm going to go with Breeze slightly over Rodgers, but I would almost bet the farm it's going to be one of those two guys. Yeah, uh, running back this year, I'm going to go with Adrian Peterson. The guy came off a catastrophic injury and came off of it way quicker than people expected, and he almost he had one of the greatest running back seasons of all time. So. A year removed from that, uh, can his team be much worse? No. I mean, they they made it to the playoffs with that team, largely on his shoulders. His quarterback isn't very good. They did lose Harvin, so I guess he lost a guy that was a bit of a threat. Although he was out for most of the big weeks that Peterson had. So if you're doubting Peterson or you didn't draft him number one in your draft, you're overthinking it, and I... I can't see a reason to pick anybody else. I'm going to say Peterson as well, and I'm going to even say that I bet he has 15% better this year than he was last year. So you remember the first three or four weeks of the season? He wasn't that great. That's right. Yeah, you they know, he eased was them still, back. They eased him back, and it's going to be full steam ahead from week one on. So I think he's going to be even better than he was last year, and that seems crazy to say. My wide receiver is maybe kind of a fantasy darling a little bit this year, but I'm going to say Des Bryant, and maybe I'm buying too much into the preseason where he's just kind of looked awesome. Uh, but I think Tony Romo, I think that whole team could be considerably better than they were last year 
based on just playing together better. You know, I mean, they, the team hasn't changed a remarkable amount. Tony Romo is still the roller coaster quarterback that he was, but I don't know. I like Des Bryant. I I don't think teams can focus when this isn't Calvin Johnson either. I mean, he's Calvin Johnson. You could put three guys on. He still might catch the ball, but I don't think him against Dallas. You can do that. They've got a better running game than Detroit does. They have a way better wide receiver two than anybody on Detroit. So sure. Why not? I just Des Bryant's basically a why not type of pick, I guess. Calvin Johnson is going to be really, really good, but just for the sake of making a pick, I'm going to say AJ Green here. He's awesome. I mean, he yeah. is awesome. You know what? You know what I'll say about this position: the first four wide receivers are really, really freaking good. If you walked out of your draft with Johnson or Green or Bryant or Marshall, you got you got a stud there. I expect all four of those guys. Brandon Marshall's going to get a ton of catches again. Yeah, if you're in PPR, Brandon Marshall's huge. Randall Cobb might even slip into that discussion in PPR. Just the problem there is they got too many receivers in Green Bay, so that is, might, what, is might the, be what keeps. Is there Cobb a guy out. from ten to thirty? If it wasn't going to be one of the top ten guys that you could see, boy, I don't have a list in front well, of me. Well, just figure at anyone after Cobb, ADP wise. So we're talking. Welker, Cruz, Colston, Wayne, Wallace, Amendola, Nick, Smith, Decker, Bo, Jones, Brown, Nelson, Garcon, Shorts, Jackson. No, not really. No. No, unless – I mean, Pierre Garcon's interesting just because there's not a lot else there. It's like him and Santana He's going to have a big PPR year too. Yeah, I mean, if he if he can stay healthy and RG3 can stay healthy, it would be a, still a long shot. But, I mean, I guess you, it's a long shot – preposition to begin with you're asking me to get, pick a guy outside the top 10 garçon's interesting to me if he could stay healthy and rg3 stay healthy that he should have a pretty good year i like wayne too i don't think he's going to be yeah, above his up in the top 10 guys but i think he's going to be maybe the best of the next group sure and lastly our sleeper pick of the year i don't even know if the guy I pick qualifies because he keeps moving up draft boards but giovanni bernard uh the bengal's defense is good enough that that should keep them in a lot of games. And that means the running backs will get more touches. And Giovanni Bernard, even in those games that they might find themselves behind, is a better PPR target than Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis. And Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis just isn't that impressive to begin with. Uh, he reminds me of like a Corey Dillon type guy that's going to run into the line for four probably yards. Probably not as good as Corey Dillon. Yeah, probably not. But uh, he's the... What's the cliche? Four yards and a cloud of dust. That's Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. Giovanni Bernard's a much more dynamic player. And like you said earlier this week, you might want to wait to see how it plays out. But by the middle of this season, I can see him being a high end number two running back. I'm going to go a deep sleeper here, but I really believe in Kenny Stills and what he's going to do with yep. the Saints this year. I've picked him in literally every draft I've done so far. I think he's being either not dra- I think he's going to be a huge pickup week one. All the leagues that he went undrafted in, I almost guarantee by the second week of the season he'll be on a roster. I just I think he's going to be huge. So I think yeah, someone that's kind of the thought. You think he's more talent? We've had this talk. He's more talented than Henderson and Meacham were because it always the thought was one of them was going to be that guy. So if he can be more talented than one of them, they... yeah, and I think also like Colston isn't quite as much in his prime, sure, as though as though you know as when he was when we were waiting for Meacham and Henderson. 
I mean, Breeze is a lock for 5,000 yards. I mean, at 800 go to Sproles, 1,000 or so go to Colston, and probably Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham. And then I so think, then you got 2,000 yards left to split around there. So. And I think he's going to get a lot of them, and he's going to catch deep, long touchdowns. Yeah. He's going to be the guy that they try to stretch the field with, and I just I think he's going to be fantastic this year. All right, so uh, is that it? save this segment and – Throw it back on our faces at the end of the year. Tell us how wrong we were. This whole show could be called Tell Us How Wrong We Were at the End of the Football Season. All right, we'll be right back with Jeff Duncan. Our next guest is from Louisville, Kentucky, and is a graduate of the University of Louisville. He is the author of From Bags to Riches, How the New Orleans Saints and the People of Their Hometown Rose from the Depths Together, and is a sports columnist for the New Orleans Times-Picayune. He is making his third appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Jeff Duncan. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing great, Steve. How are you doing, man? Doing really good. Really excited to have you on the show. It's been quite a while. Uh, looking forward to chatting with you. A couple things before we get going on football and the Saints. I'm curious about a couple things. One, did you go to the Final Four last year? No, unfortunately, uh, I had to make an executive decision. I was actually covering the Masters for the first time in my career. Uh, so I actually flew into Atlanta from New Orleans on Monday, uh, the night of the championship game, and thought long and hard about just stopping over and and watching Louisville, uh, Michigan play in the title game and then driving over to Augusta. But because I'd never covered the Masters before, I just felt a little uh, leery of doing that. Uh, Tuesday, if you've covered the Masters, Tuesday is the big media day. It's the day it starts very early, and you have to get all your interviews in. That's the day Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson are all available. So it's a really hectic day, and I just didn't feel comfortable uh, uh, doing that, passing up a, a big chance of history, though. And, and I, ultimately, I did watch it uh, in Augusta with a bunch of other reporters. So it was, it was a great night. You know, I, I've always wanted to ask this to someone who is a fan of, of the team. And, you know, when, you, when your team wins a championship, it's such a great day. It's such a great memory. It's a reason, you know, we are fans of sports. But I wonder if, for a fan of Louisville, if when you look back on this season, maybe five, maybe ten years from now, will you remember it for the championship or will it, were, will that injury to Kevin Ware kind of be on the back of your mind all the time? You know, a little of both, I think. I, I think I'll definitely remember it uh, as a title season. I, I don't think there's any doubt. I think Ware will be more of a footnote uh, in a championship. I mean, Louisville has been 27 years between a championship, as good as their program's been. You know, Rick Pitino took it over, and I think everybody thought they were going to win right away, and it was much more difficult as the recruiting landscape has changed. So uh, it was, a, I think, a big source of relief for Louisville fans, especially uh, with the success that John Calipari's had at Kentucky right down the road, uh, them winning a title the year before. I think it was especially sweet for, in that regard. How is being a fan of Louisville and watching them win a championship different than being a reporter for the Saints and watching them win the championship in 2010? Oh, well, it's um, it's night and day. You know, I'm not really a fan very much of sports at all anymore now that I've gotten into the profession, uh, which I, I guess could be looked at as somewhat uh, negatively. But, 
you know, it's just as you become more professional and you cover so many games, it, it just becomes a job like anything else. Uh, certainly, I admire the athletes and the, the spectacle of the event, uh, but it's very difficult to become a fan of anything you cover on a daily basis. So the the one thing that's held out is my alma mater, and Louisville is always going to be uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, because there are no pro sports teams in Louisville, it's one of the largest cities in the country with really no professional sports. Uh, you do tend to latch on to the university uh, athletic program a little stronger, I think, than most other major cities, and that's certainly the case with Louisville. So uh, for me, covering the Saints Super Bowl run was a cathartic experience, but more so for the city of New Orleans. It was such a big story for the people here who'd suffered so long and post-Katrina. There's so many things wrapped up in that story uh, that made it so big, uh, other than just uh, you know, just a football game. Uh, that that was. Uh, I'm not sure I'll ever cover a season like I did in 2009. That was that was remarkable. One last thing about this, and I want to get on to the Saints and the NFL season. But you mentioned uh, Louisville and what university sports means to that area, and what it's like to be a fan of Louisville in Louisville. How do you compare that to what you've seen in covering LSU sports and Baton Rouge and in Louisiana in general? Well, you know, they're just they're very similar in that they're passionate college sports fans, but they're just inverted in the sports and the passion uh, that they have for each sport. I mean, Louisville basketball, uh, the fans are as passionate about that as they are about LSU football, as LSU football fans are. The difference, I'd say, is that Louisville's football program has become, uh, you know, a top 25 program under Charlie Strong and has really gained a lot of momentum recently. Uh, and LSU is still trying to capture uh, interest in its basketball program. But it, just in general, I think the passion for college sports in both markets, both states, is remarkable. I think they're two of the more passionate college sports states uh, in the country, Kentucky and Louisiana. So they're very similar in those ways. I know you were in Texas last week for the LSU-TCU game. What are some kind of thoughts about LSU and where you see the team who's ranked number nine right now in the country? But even when you're ranked number nine in the country in the SEC, that's still like fourth or fifth place in the conference, right? Yeah, and I think they're a very dangerous team. You know, LSU looks to me like a a team that's going to continue to get better. They're playing a lot of freshmen, a lot of young guys. Uh, If you're an LSU fan, you should be excited right now because I think the sky's the limit over the next couple of years. But you had to be encouraged with the way Zach Mettenberger played. I mean, he was very inconsistent last year. They brought in Cam Cameron, put in a new offensive scheme, and he Mettenberger really seems to be adjusting to it well. I think he's uh, learning as he goes, but I think he's in a much more user-friendly, quarterback-friendly scheme that's uh, allowing him maybe to showcase his ability because he's got big-time skills. He's got an NFL arm. But it was really, I think, a backward offense that they had a year ago. So, uh, for me, LSU is a dangerous team. They've got so much talent on defense. We we all know how many people they lost last year to the NFL on defense. Uh, they've got almost a completely new uh, system. I mean, almost a completely new roster. But it's talented, very talented. I think in two years, they're going to be as talented as anybody in the country. They're just young right now. I was listening to another podcast the other day. It was actually the BS Report with Bill Simmons. And him and a couple other guys were going over the win totals that Vegas has put out for the NFL. And when they got to the Saints and they were talking about the Saints, one thing that they kind of zeroed in on, and all the guys that were talking about it agreed, 
with, and, and I kind of hadn't thought of it before this, was that similar to way, the way the Patriots were the year after uh, Spygate, they kind of felt that the Saints were going to be in, as they described it, quote-unquote, FU mode. That the team was going to use this season as sort of a revenge on what they felt had happened to them wrongly the year before. You're around the team all the time. Do you get the impression that the Saints will use last year as some kind of motivation to 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 help them through this season? Yeah, you know, I've heard that. That's a very prevailing opinion about the Saints. Uh, and I'm not sure how valid it is. You know, I think that's almost a media myth or a media creation. We like storylines like that. But, but look, certainly Sean Payton is chagrined and and uh, somewhat humbled by what happened a year ago. And I'm sure there's an element of uh, motivation that comes from what happened to them a year ago. But that only lasts so long. I mean, you win and lose games in the NFL by, by X's and O's, players, great players making big plays. You also win and lose by attrition, who has injuries uh, and who commits the fewest penalties in the game. I mean, it's very simple. But the talent level in that league is so even that there's not much difference between 6-10 and 10 and 10-6 10 and 6 in any given season other than injuries and a few big plays here and there. I mean, look at look at Baltimore last year. They're a great example. They, they convert a 4th and 28 to make it into the playoffs on a screen pass. Well, they don't even make it. And then they get in and play Denver, and they throw a Hail Mary at Denver at the end of the game. Uh, that's a one-in-a-million mir- one chance, and they win the Super Bowl. Uh, they're, they're one play away in, in each of those from not, not doing anything. So uh, I really believe that uh, this year, the Saints are getting back to basics and realize that it wasn't all Bounty Gate that, that submarine their season a year ago. It wasn't all the, missing their head coach. Uh, a lot of it was they just didn't play well. They they, they didn't execute. They were they were disorganized, and I, I think uh, their discipline went away without Peyton there. And it was across the board. I think a lowering of standards at all phases of their organization. And I think Peyton can return that to. Uh, but the key question I have is. Has the rest of the league taught them and passed them? I mean, the Saints, I think, are going to be better. But when you look around the NFC, which I think is extremely competitive right now, there's so many good young quarterbacks. A couple of years ago, the Saints had a huge advantage at quarterback and everybody they played. Uh, Drew Brees was so much better at, at the most important position in the game. And now Washington's got RG3 and Carolina's got Cam Newton and Russell Wilson's in Seattle and Kaepernick's in San Francisco. And even though Brees might be better than those guys, it's not as great an advantage in the Saints' deficiencies in the rest of their game, the rest of their uh, units. Uh, I'm not sure is enough for them to overcome and win like they could a couple of years ago when they were coaching three. You know, one thing I thought about Breeze last season was that it kind of felt to me like he almost was wearing too many hats maybe in a way. Like maybe he felt like without Peyton there, not only did he have to be the quarterback and the leader of the team, but maybe to some degree he had to be the coach or – and it just seems like sometimes you would see him make passes that he never made as a saint in the years before. Do you think that Peyton's presence is going to calm him down a little bit maybe? Do you think that that 19 interception season last year could be more like a 10 interception season this year and that maybe that could help that gap you were talking about between him and the other quarterbacks and really propel the Saints this year? Yeah, you know, I think Peyton will help, uh, definitely help in that regard the checks and balances. Uh, being in Breeze's ear, he's big on like uh, body language and leadership and a lot of intangibles that, that I'm sure Breeze missed a year ago. But you know, Drew Breeze is always an aggressive quarterback. He's got a little Brett Favre in him. He tries to 
force throws that all the great quarterbacks do. They maybe try to force things that, that aren't there. And I think because of the circumstances around uh, the program a year ago, that he was probably just guilty of trying to do a little too much, like you said. Uh, but I think if they if they improve in the other areas, which I think is where Peyton will come in, I think that the defense has to be better than it was a year ago. Special teams have to be better. And if they can improve the running game, just by you know sheer circumstance, Breeze is going to have to do less, and so he's going to be uh, probably less prone to making making those errors and forcing the ball like he did a year ago in Atlanta. You know that was brought up today at practice with uh, Breeze. You know he threw five interceptions, five, yep. career high against the Falcons, in a horrible performance. But it was mainly just him trying to do too much because they were down early in that game, and and that was the case in a lot of games a year ago. You mentioned the running game, and that's something that Peyton has made clear has to improve for the team to improve this year. And, and maybe you, th- you think about Mark Ingram right away when you think about the Saints running game and, and him trying to justify the, the faith that the team showed in him by trading back into the first round to pick him. What have you seen about Mark Ingram this summer through the training camp and preseason that might be encouraging for Saints fans? He's in terrific shape, first of all. He's healthy for the first time since his rookie year. And he just looks uh, lighter and more explosive in and out of his cuts. And that was that was true when he came in as a rookie. Uh, he never The first guy never tackled Mark Ingram when he came in as a rookie. And he has been very easy to tackle the last season and a half, primarily because I think he wasn't playing at 100%. He's a little bit of a tweener. And I know when he came out of Alabama, that was a little bit of a label, uh, a knock he had. Uh, he, he's not quite big enough to be a power back and not quite quick and elusive enough to be, uh, you know, a, a, a mini back or a, you know, a scat back. So he's, he's got a little bit of tweener label on him. And I think he's trying to rid himself of that. He, he's going to have every opportunity to prove himself this year. They traded Chris Ivory to the Jets. Uh, he's the feature back now. Uh, and if he doesn't succeed, it's, it's not because he hasn't had opportunity. You know, when I look at the Saints offense, and compare it to a year ago or other years where the team has been really successful, you think about the weapons at the disposal of Breeze, and you, you mentioned Ingram and the improvement that we think he might have, and Pierre Thomas pulled a move in that Houston game that I've, I almost I couldn't believe it. It's like, wow, this guy still has got some juice left. Sproles is a great threat. Jimmy Graham is healthy again. Colston's ready to play week one. And I think Kenny Stills and Nick Toon have huge upside. I, I think that there's a chance this could be the best wide receiver uh, core that Breeze has had as a Saint. What do you think about some of the new weapons that Breeze has, especially what Stills and Tune have showed this year at camp? Well, you know, uh, I can tell you this. I was just talking to Luke McCown, the backup quarterback, uh, who was with Atlanta a year ago, and we know what kind of receiving core they have with Julio Jones, Harry Douglas, Roddy White, and Tony Gonzalez, a tight end. And and we were discussing that very point and, and, and who's got the better skill position lineup between Atlanta and New Orleans because they're, they're probably two of the best in the league, if not the best. And he said this receiving core in New Orleans, while it's not there yet because of the youth you mentioned, uh, will will ultimately be the best receiving core he's ever played with. Uh, and he was confident in that. And so, you know, I, I, agree, I agree. There's probably better depth here and more versatility than they've had in the past. They've got more guys. I think they're going to eventually become starting caliber receivers, whereas I think Debra Henderson and Robert Meacham, as proven here in the last year or so as they got away from New Orleans, really were role players here. They were never really starting caliber receivers, I think, whereas I think Stills and Toon can, can become the eventual replacement for Moore and Colston. So, uh, yeah, the sky's the limit. They need that depth because Sean Payton runs them in and out. 
uh, those position group changes are uh, going to be, I think, even more prevalent this year than they have been in the past because of the depth they have there. Where does Meacham fit in? Well, right now, I think he'll be uh, alternating with Toon as the fourth receiver uh, behind Moore, Colston, and Stills, and he'll be the deep threat. It, it, he's really a better deep threat than Nick Toon, who's more of a possession receiver. So I think what they wanted out of Meacham is to play a very limited, uh, precise role, and that is a deep threat that they may use on on the field at times with Kenny Stills uh, to clear the field out for the underneath routes for Colston and Moore and, and Jimmy Graham. That was the role he had here before, and he can still man that role, I think, because he's still got his speed. Peyton uh, mentioned today he's only 29 years old. He's still a pretty young player. Uh, but whatever happened to him in San Diego, uh, it just did not was not a good fit. And they think that they can put him in the right role to where he'll be successful again. 29, and his first year in the NFL is basically a redshirt year, so he's kind of a young 29 in a way in terms of the league, and he's never had to play the kind of downs like like a Colston had, per se, because of his role on the team. And I always think back to that Redskins game in the Super Bowl season when he made the unbelievable play after the Breeze pick to score the touchdown before halftime. And then he had an unbelievable double move on the the last touchdown the Saints scored to push that game into overtime. I, I think the Saints are pretty smart to bring him back because I, I think there's still maybe some value there, and I think Breeze gets the most out of him. Yeah, it sounds like he might not have been used properly in San Diego, the Saints. One, one thing about Sean Payton, one of the reasons why he's so successful, he has a very, a very good vision for each player and what they do well, and he keeps them in their role and doesn't really go outside of their their limitations as a player, physically or mentally. And uh, by doing that, guys like Devery Henderson and and even Chase Daniel last year, uh, you know, guys play very well in this system, and then they tend to go elsewhere and not perform as well. It's been a case over the years here. I don't want to say it's a system, but they're system players, but I think this system enhances each individual player's ability, and I certainly think that's the case with Robert Meacham, and I, and I agree with you. I think it's a really a no-risk, uh, potentially uh, decent reward move for them. They're paying them the veteran's minimum. He knows the system. He's going to play a very unique role for this team. Uh, what's the downside to it? Right, yeah, if it doesn't work out, and you just move on, right? I mean... Jeez. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we you, got, know, you didn't invest much, you know, so they're right. really the ones that, that bit the bullet were San Diego inviting a $5 million in guaranteed salary. That, that's a, a major move. Yeah. Uh, we have to talk a little bit about the defense, even though it's not as fun. It's it's almost the, the part of the team you almost like to forget about being, you know, the statistically the worst defense in history of the NFL last year. Talk about what uh, Rob Ryan has brought into the team and, and what despite a lot of injuries over the offseason, what this defense specifically can do to improve on last year's poor effort, to say the least. Yeah, and I think really you almost have to give the Saints a mulligan last year. They were so bad. So many players played below their standards that it's, you, just, you just have to draw a line through it almost because they're not that bad on defense. They've got too many talented players, too many former first-round draft picks that other teams wanted. They couldn't have missed on everybody. And I think what happened last year was just a snowball effect. They, they they got down on themselves early on, lost confidence, didn't buy in necessarily to Spagnola's system, and it just kind of snowballed on them. And, and, and I think Rob Ryan has brought back some aggressiveness that they had, like they uh, had under Greg Williams. He's very similar in his schemes. He's multiple. They're going to be aggressive across the front line. And he's brought back a little bit of swagger that they were missing, and that's what the Saints have to play. That's when they play their best. 
that's certainly the way this offense plays under Sean Payton. They're very aggressive, and I think they want a complementary defense, one that's equally aggressive. Now, they may give up some big plays, give up some points and yards. We know they're going to do that. But every once in a while, they've got to be able to make a play and get the ball back to Breeze and company. They didn't do that at all last year in the Spagnuolo. They were just a punching bag out there. Uh, and so I don't see any way it could be any worse than it was a year ago. If I want to be positive about the defense from last year, it's tough. But if I can think about one play that sticks out, it's the play that Jenkins made in the Tampa Bay game. Chasing the guy down, stripping him, causing the big turnover. Jenkins got hurt. I think that really hurt the defense a lot last year. Tell me about Jenkins and, and where he's at in his career post-season-ending injury last year and what he can bring to this defense and, and what he can do to influence the first-round pick, Kenny Vaccaro, and, and kind of help him through his development. Well, it's a big year for Malcolm Jenkins. He, he's coming off a really a subpar year for him as well, the whole secondary for that matter. And uh, I think it's kind of a crossroads for his career. You know, he's under contract, uh, but because he played so poorly a year ago, he needs a bounce-back season. He's clearly one of the leaders on the defense. I think the clear leader in the secondary along with Roman Harper. But Kenny Vaccaro was brought in to be a starter here, and he's eventually going to start, more than likely, at strong safety in Roman Harper's spot down the road, I mean, probably next season. Uh, but uh, make no mistake, if Roman Harper, I mean, if Malcolm Jenkins does not play well, they may be uh, looking for a replacement for him as well. But he has, uh, I think, a lot of positive uh, assets. Uh, he, he's a good cover man. He's a good tackler. He, he, he's so many good things about him. You just wonder why he played so poorly last year. And he has to have a big year on the back end. He's, he's their center fielder back there, uh, the guy responsible for not letting things get deep. And, uh, you know, the way they're going to play this year, aggressively up front, he's going to be back there roaming center field. He, he's got to be that safety valve for them, uh, or safety net, I should say. Or, you know, they could give up a lot more points again this season. Maybe just maybe the reason that the secondary struggled as much as it did last year is because the front didn't get any pressure on the quarterback almost ever. And, that's one area where injuries maybe have hurt this defense preseason. Obviously, Will Smith is a guy that you look to on this defense to, to get some of that pressure. Where do you think pressure can come this year, and what is it about Rex Ryan's scheme that will help the players get to the quarterback more consistently this year? Well, I think more than the scheme, it's going to be the utilization of some of the personnel. Uh, Junior Gallette is, a, is an ascending talent, a guy that can pressure the quarterback, clearly the best edge rusher the Saints have. He's going to be a full-time player this year, whereas he was mainly a situational player a year ago. I think Marquez Wilson is going to be in a similar role. I think they're going younger uh, up front and going with some of these young players that they've drafted the last few years that have kind of played in the background in, in supporting roles in the past. Uh, Akeem Hicks is another young player, second-year guy. I think that they're counting on a lot at left end. So uh, they've, they've got some uh, potential there. Now they've got to do it on the field. And as Junior Gallette pointed out, it takes more than one guy to rush the pass in the NFL. I mean, if he if he emerges like a, like the Saints think he can as a pass rusher, uh, they're immediately going to game plan against him and take him out of the game. So somebody else has to step up on this defense and pressure the quarterback. And I'm not sure they've got that guy right now. This could be a two-year transition uh, on defense. It more than likely will be before they become even a mid-level or top-level defense. I, I think it's going to take years to get it down. Give me a best case and a worst case scenario for the 2013 Saints. You know, I think this year uh, they have the makings of a, of a playoff team, but they're they're precarious. I think if all goes well, 
They avoid injuries at key spots. Their offense is good enough, and they will play with an edge uh, that I think that they can get back in the playoffs. I'm not sure they're good enough to unseat the Falcons as division champs. I think it could happen. Uh, but is great on offense, great at quarterback, and you win a lot of games in this league with those areas. But their defense is still a work in process, pro- progress, and because they're so banged up on that side of the ball already, uh, if they have a run of injuries at a certain position, like at linebacker, uh, you know they could be back to uh, seven, nine, or eight and eight again. So it, it's just hard to say. I think they're one of the biggest mystery teams in the league because they they're coming off two seasons of such extremes. Two years ago, they were thirteen and three, set the NFL record for most yards gained in a season, and then a year later, they allow the most yards in the history of the NFL in a season. Just remarkable extremes. So it's difficult to say which team they are between those two extremes. Probably. Probably somewhere in between. Yeah, I think when we look back on the on the Peyton era in New Orleans, I think that San Francisco playoff loss is going to be the, the toughest loss to swallow because that team, I think, was so loaded. And I don't know who else beats them. I don't think they lose an NFC Championship game in the Superdome that next week. And I think that they definitely would have given the Patriots all they could handle in the Super Bowl. So I think that's going to be a tough one when, when everything's said and done and we look back on the Breeze and, and Peyton era in New Orleans. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think they know that right now. The window is there to win a second Super Bowl. They would have had the New York Giants in the Superdome, who they've really owned in the Superdome. Go back and look at the scores of those games when yep. they played the Giants there. It would have been difficult to think that they would have lost that game at home. And that team, in, in some ways, was maybe more talented and certainly more explosive offensively than the Super Bowl uh, champion team of 2009. All right, Jeff Duncan writes for the New Orleans Times-Picayune and has a great book. If you haven't read it yet, I'd definitely recommend it called From Bags to Riches, How the New Orleans Saints and the People of Their Hometown Rose from the Depths Together. Uh, one last thing, and we'll let you go. Just curious, how have things gone for the Times-Picayune since becoming a non-daily newspaper? Well, you know, it hasn't changed much for us in sports. We were so digitally focused to begin with that, uh, you know, our roles have all stayed pretty much the same. It's a little unusual uh, now and, and actually refreshing because we are a digital operation first and foremost to be able to stay late at games and, and not have to worry about a print deadline after a game. Uh, that, that's new to me. A lot of my colleagues in the business at, at ESPN.com or Yahoo.com have have been living that way, but it's nice for me, like say it's LSU Texas Christian game, which was a very late start the other night, to be able to come back up and spend time in the locker room and come back up and take your time on your column. Uh, so for me, it's refreshing in a lot of ways, uh, but I think the, the city is still adjusting to the shock of the decision uh, and coming around to accepting the fact that this is the wave of the future in our industry and that New Orleans just happens to be a pioneer in this regard. Uh, let's face it, New Orleans has never been known for being on the cutting edge of anything. <laughs> it's one of the beautiful things about this city. Uh, but I think slowly but surely they're understanding what the mission is here. And I think our journalism is as good as ever. Uh, so I don't think we took a step back in that regard at all. All right. You can find Jeff Duncan on Twitter at Jeff Duncan underscore. And, of course, you can find uh, all of his work with the Times-Picayune at www.nola.com, correct? Correct, NOLA.com, New Orleans, Louisiana. Thank you so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Sure, anytime, Steve. You take care.
All right, I want to thank our guests today, Dave Damashek, Richard Deitch, Jeff Duncan. Thanks to everyone hanging in. Sort of a longer preview-type podcast, kind of all over the place, all kinds of NFL stuff and some other things along the way. Please check out our work, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters, and you can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. Our one last thing this week is going to be a little bit different because... Uh, Let's do the picks probably first. Then we'll finish with our Super Bowl prediction. We'll do the awards, oh, bold awards, then the picks, and we'll close with our bold predictions. Okay, so what we're going to do this week is awards and picks <laughs> and bold predictions to kind of round out our NFL 2013 preview show here. So let's start off with awards. Uh, offensive MVP. These are all AP awards technically, right? I think so. Okay, my offensive MVP is Andrew Ro- or Andrew. Aaron Rodgers. Uh, this, again, is just kind of a gut. You could pick anybody here, Drew Brees, Adrian Peterson. I just feel maybe Rodgers is a little under underlooked this year, not by the fantasy world, but maybe by the – like everyone's talking about San Francisco and Seattle, so maybe Rodgers and Green Bay is a little bit of a sneaky pick here. So I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to pick Adrian Peterson just because I think they're going to give the MVP to the quarterback kind of like they – they didn't do it last year. They gave Adrian the MVP last year, and I think Manning got the OP, but I think they're going to go back to the quarterback this year. So I'll go Adrian. I'm going to put him at 22.50, breaking the record. So you're saying they gave it to Adrian last year, and they'll give it to him again because he breaks the record. They're, they gave him the MVP last year, but I don't think they're going to give him back-to-back MVPs. I think they'll cop out kind of like what I thought they did, what they were going to do last year. They didn't, but... I think he'll break the record and, and not win the MVP. So who do you think is going to win the MVP? Drew Brees. Drew Brees, okay. <laughs> Drew Brees is going to break his own passing record this year, and he's going to throw half the interceptions. So he's going to throw for like 5,300 yards. or Yeah, is that right? 5,300 yards yep. and 41 touchdowns and nine picks. My defensive MVP, and I say this not being a Hard Knocks fan. Not that I don't like it, I just have, don't watch it. Uh, I'm going to say Geno Atkins, defensive tackle, Cincinnati. I went online to try to see, like, if you look for offensive MVPs, wide receiver is never one, unless you're Jerry Rice. Uh, it just doesn't happen. It's always quarterback or running back. Defense it can be all over the board. It seems to be everywhere, corners, safeties, linebackers, and the linemen. So I'm going to take Geno Atkins, uh, a good player, uh, paid like he's he's a great player, so at least they paid him that way anyway. And uh, he's on a good defense, pretty deep defense that gets after the quarterback. So why not? I don't think JJ Watt can repeat his. It seems like the ends get it in years when they have phenomenal sack numbers, getting close to right. the, yeah record sack numbers. So I'm gonna say Geno Atkins, Cincinnati. I'll go with Luke Keekley, linebacker for Carolina. Yeah, I thought about him. Too. He had an unbelievable preseason. And Can they give it on a team that probably goes under 500 again? I, I, maybe they do. I, don't, I didn't look closely enough at the advanced stats and stuff behind the defensive MVP, but I, I liked him a lot too for this award. just thought maybe the team wasn't good enough. Yeah, he'll be all over the place. My coach of the year, I think you could probably. I think there's probably two guys here that are kind of sexy picks, and I bet you name the other one. I'm going to say Andy Reid in Kansas City. Uh, again, I gave the reasons during five on fantasy. I think Jamal Lewis has a big year. Uh, they got a nice quarterback consolation prize basic or it's kind of a nice consolation for uh alex smith that he gets to go to a a team that he's going to be welcomed with open arms and 
he's been nothing but successful, really, in his career. Same with Andy Reid. they got a good running back, good receivers, so why not? Andy Reid. I like Andy Reid a lot. I think that's a great pick, but I'm going to go with Sean Payton. Yeah, that's like, I know people are going to criti- say I'm a homer, and that's fine, because I probably am, so that's all right, but... If the Saints go 12-4 and four this year, how do you not give it to Peyton? What were they last year? I don't remember their record. They were 7-9. and nine, Or 8-8. Eight and eight. Okay, yeah. 7-9. So, even, even if they went 11 wins, I mean, it's basically the same team. Three wins better because of the coach. Yeah, I love Peyton for that. If the Saints are good and win the division and make the playoffs, he's going to win it. My Super Bowl prediction. That's where we're at now, right? We'll do the bowl predictions last. All right. Well, did you pick an MVP? Oh, in, as opposed to... What's the difference? <laughs> the MVP is the most valuable player in the league. As opposed to the offensive and defensive MVP. Right. I will go I will say it's also Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if that That's possible, doesn't happen. Sure. But no, that yeah, happens. I will say Aaron Rodgers then again. All the talk this offseason is about how Seattle or Denver or uh San Francisco are gonna win the Super Bowl this year. I think Green Bay flies under the radar a little bit and Rodgers is looking to put the belt on again, so I'll give it to Aaron Rodgers. All right, Super Bowl pick? My Super Bowl pick, I originally wrote down New England versus Green Bay. Uh, again, I've said Green Bay is under the radar a little bit. New England's defense is not bad. It's not It's not the team that Tom Brady has had to carry because the defense is bad. But his supporting cast on offense doesn't seem great. And if I pick New England for the Super Bowl here, I think I'd have to change my offensive MVP to uh, – ESPN and their pop-up videos. <laughs> I think I'd have to nuts. change my offensive MVP to Tom Brady. So I'm going to go with the pick that everybody's making. The AFC is weak as far as I see it. If any, t- if you could put money on New England or Denver or the field, I think all the money would go out on New England or Denver. So I'm going to say it's Denver versus Green Bay. And I will give the Super Bowl to – boy, that's close. I like both of them. I'll give it to Denver and maybe Peyton walks off into the sunset then. All right, well, I went this far with the homerism, so I'm going to take it one step further. I'm going to pick Cincinnati and New Orleans, and I'll pick New Orleans to win. I, I don't know. I believe in the team. I've said that if they don't go 12-4, and four, I'm going to call this season a failure. And if they get home playoff games, they're not going to lose them. And I'm not the only one who thinks that they're going to be in ultimate FU mode. And we've seen what the Patriots did when the Patriots went into FU mode a few years back. They went 17-0 and and didn't or 16-0 and, and didn't lose till the Super Bowl. Uh, I usually am pretty honest about what I think about this team and where I think they're going to finish. And I don't know. And, and by the way, I'm not going to be here at the beginning of next season. Probably. I, I think that the window is closing quick for this group and I probably don't think they're going to be that good next year. I, they're going to have a lot of cap issues. It's going to probably be a much different team. They're probably going to have to talk breeze into a pay cut. It might be more difficult next year, but you know what? I think they're going to be in FU mode. They're going to score a lot of points. And they went 7-9 and nine last year with the worst defense statistically in the history of the National Football League. If Rob Ryan can get them to like 15th, 16th, 18th in defense, they're going to win yeah, 12 games. Yeah. So uh, screw it. Uh, call me a homer, and I'm okay with it. But I'll pick Saints versus Bengals. Saints winning it. Have you seen anything to lead you to believe that that defense is any better? Because I know they didn't look great in the preseason. I think the Houston Houston third game was a real good indication of what they're going to be. They're going to give up yards. They're going to try to make turnovers. They're going to try to stiffen up in the red zone. 
sometimes the other team's going to get the ball. They're going to go 80 yards and score a touchdown. But we'll live with that and hope that they can make stops when they need to. Kind of like when Brett Favre had the ball in the last couple of minutes and they got the pick in the NFC Championship game, or when Peyton Manning was driving down the field to try to tie the Super Bowl and they got a pick six from Tracy Porter. I think that that's going to be the kind of defense they'll try to be. Yeah, and like you said, even if... Try to be the 18th. If they're yeah, the 18th just, best defense. I'd say if the bottom, the top of the bottom third even, like the 20th, 20th, yeah. 20th 22nd, something like that, that'd be such a big improvement. Don't and they be the almost worst. have to be better. Right, don't be the worst. Um, so bold predictions for our last thing today. My bold prediction, and I also have an addendum if it's not bold enough. I think I believe it's the past eight years now. There's been a team that's gone worst to first. I'm going to say it doesn't happen this year. There's not a team I love to do that. There's not. A, usually, you can kind of see that coming a little bit by looking at the top end talent of the divisions. And I don't think a lot of the divisions have dropped off all that much. That said, if that's not bold enough, I'm going to say the Browns are the team to go worst to first. I think that we talked about Pittsburgh maybe being down. Uh, Cincinnati might be the team that is up this year. I mean, you've got them going to the Super Bowl. In Baltimore, I don't think anybody respects still. That's the team that should be in the ultimate FU mode. They just won a Super Bowl and nobody respects right. them. So yeah. But that's my I'm gonna say either nobody goes worse to first, or if somebody does, if that's not bold enough, I'll say it's the Browns. All right. I got a bold prediction for you. San Francisco won't make the playoffs this year. Yeah, that works. Uh, right now, if you go to ESPN.com, click on power rankings, they're number three. They're number one on a lot of sites, too. And they're number one. Uh, I think Seattle's better. I think Seattle's going to win the division. I think Atlanta and New Orleans are going to make the playoffs. I think New Orleans will win the division. I think that means there's one wild card left. And I think that their division is too good to get in. I think that there's going to be a lot of 8-8, eight and 9-7. Eight, and seven. And I think what's going to happen is someone like Dallas – and Chicago. Washington or uh, Green Bay and Chicago, one of those divisions, they're going to have an 11 and 5 and a 10 and 6, and that team's going to get in. Are you in the second verse? Yeah, come on, keep going. This is good. Don't give up. What is your second verse? <laughs> I got it. Marty, you do it. Come on, son, come on. Working double time on the seduction line. She was one of a kind. She's just a fine old man. Swing, come the wild one shaking, the hard one yeah. shaking. Yeah. Ah!